As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Are we done with pleasantries? We can get on with the show? Well, you know, I came in, you and oh, I were chatting, I get a chance to say it. hi to my friend there, Overture. you know. Overture, hit the lights, this is it. No? Yeah. That's Overture, <sighs> Curtain, Lights, this is it. We'll is that what it lights. is? Overture, yeah. Curtain, Lights? Yeah. Oh, that's it. Hit the lights. No, it's Curtain, comma, Lights. Curtain, Lights. Well, I mean, when I was a kid, I thought it was Overture. And... Yeah, I still don't know what the hell the words were for the Flintstones theme song. I've looked them up, and it still doesn't make sense. Flintstones, meet the Flintstones. They're the modern stoners family from the town of Bedrock. Oh, my God. <laughs> They're a page right out of history. History. Something, something. That is where it loses me, yeah. Oh, man. I used to, I used to know this off by heart. Oh, man. See? Something okay, now do the Jetsons. Let's go. Uh, Jetsons. Meet George Jetson. <laughs> Jane, his wife, his boy, Elroy. Daughter, Judy. Judy, yeah, right. Dog Astro. Retro, Roger. Astro. I think you might have it backwards. Doesn't it start with mm. his boy, Elroy, then go to the older daughter, Judy, and then Jane, his wife, because she sticks, takes the... his wallet as she leaves, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's the last one out of the car. I didn't know there was going to be a test. Oh, yeah. You, you failed know? 1960s Hanna-Barbera history, sorry. It's the story of a man named Brady who was busy with three <laughs> boys of his own. Okay, now Gilligan's <laughs> Island, go! Gilli I was just going to say that. Gilligan's Island was... Um, <laughs> Sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale, a tale of a tree. It started from this tropic board on board this tiny ship. ship. You know, actually, you know what we should do is, hey, here we come, walking, walking down, down the street, get the dirtiest get the looks, from looks from everyone, everyone we meet. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. We forgot to put that this um, tribute Mike to uh, Mike Nesmith, yes. Yes. You are, uh, you were like the, the true musician of the band. And... Cheer up, sleepy jeans. This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast, Season 5, Episode 22. My name is Tim Mitchell, and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuhlein in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello, children! And we also are joined... Is that the new catchphrase? Is that the one? <laughs> I'm working some stuff out. You know, I don't have Jaime's, like, instant gravitas. I need to I try to mix it up, you know. And now it's time to ask Jaime Lopez Jr., how's it going? How's it going in season four, episode 22, number 106? I think that was my mistake. 
your apologies. Oh, yeah. I don't think you put that in there. I'm pretty sure I put the skeleton for this episode. So that is my oh, mistake. Really? I mean, if you want to take claim to it, if you remember better than I do, but I'm pretty sure that was me. Maybe. Yeah, but no, it's supposed to be. We, we changed it. It used to say episode 106, which was throwing me off all the time. Now it's season four, episode 22. Is it 22? Correct. Yeah, it is 22. Well, yeah, so it's definitely 22. Mm-hmm. Um, season four is what it is, not season five. I just noticed that in the. In the oh, you put season five? What? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I thought I just copied the other one and then changed one value, but apparently I was a little over eager with changing values. I have decided what I would really like for the holidays as a gift, and I would like specifically from you, Tim, I would like you to do a mash of all of Jaime's How's It Goings from all oh. 106 episodes of this podcast. No, no, no. no as no, one no, great think... big long How's It Going? 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 I how's think, going? I think going? Going? yeah, I think, you know, what we should, well, you realize we actually have done like 340 episodes of More Than Just Code. And I must admit, I've only I listened to a handful of them because it's it's a little above my um, uh, knowledge base. But really? uh, does Jaime always say, how's it going on that too? <laughs> yep. Pretty, pretty sure I do. Um, but yeah, the super cut would confirm it, right? Now I want all 400 no, he, of those. Yeah, pretty much. It's how, how's it going? That's his, that's his catchphrase. And and um, driving it home. And he, he made that first mistake and we've never let him forget it. So like Driving it home? Yeah. So yeah. we make I make a point of saying for those of you driving at home, if oh, I'm driving. on a show by myself with somebody, like in, yeah. in Mark and Jaime aren't around, I say that. What is it? I like uh, transporting at home. I thought that was very clever. Uh, I might well, that's, just stumble on that the, early. It's the more than just podcast, you know, morphing into Little, the next thing. Yeah, the same riff. Welcome to the more than just podcast network where we have running gags. Listen yeah. to them all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and find find the uh, see see the thing about it is what really disappoints me is people have not gone back and found the Game of Thrones Easter eggs that I put in in the in the art. That's all oh, I'm gonna say. Oh, okay. so, so I know what they are, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Here's a treasure hunt for you. That's that's a holiday gift to you, the audience. Yeah, I think I actually might have actually changed one of our, um, um, you know, host pictures with, uh, with an Easter egg in it. Mm. Anyway, I'll leave that for the fans. To, but I'm, I'm just, but I'm burning up time because we have no fact check. We were just perfect last week. So that's exceptional. Yes. Well, except <laughs> for the fact that I just finished editing the show like an hour ago. <laughs> so I haven't done the actual yep. review to see if we did in fact have some fact check. So stay tuned next week for more fact check. Possibly, maybe. I don't know. I usually, I usually find the fact check stuff while I'm at it the show but anyway there we go so we'll just dig right into the headlines with Jaime Lopez Jr. taking the con you see what I did there first thing we've got up here is the news that Marvel's Eternals movie is coming to Disney Plus for free on uh, January 12th or as free as Disney Plus is yeah it's one of those like you know free if you've got it sort of thing it's not the premium you know $30 sort of thing yeah well but you know what we talked about this on the show last week um, because I I know I just because I just finished editing it an hour ago that Disney Plus has sort of become the de facto you gotta have it, right? Oh, yeah. So it's kind of like Netflix, water, you know, indoor plumbing, <laughs> Disney Plus. You know, those are the sort of staples of life these days, right? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Have you seen it yet, Mark? Hummy? I have not. And apparently I will on January 12th. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? Yeah, that's probably the best way to watch it, I think. I mean, it was, you know, it was interesting. It looked very pretty. It was visually know. interesting. It was just a little all over the place. Yeah. 
in more uh, stuff coming out, we've got the first trailer, kind of more of like a teaser trailer of anything. First look trailers, look what they actually say for Paramount Plus's Halo live action TV show based on the video game series. Have you what? guys played that? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You said yeah. that as if it's like you should play it. Well, yeah. It's one of the <laughs> seminal classic. It's one of the know? seminal games of the 21st century. Really? Okay. Yeah. Hmm. It's kind of like, you know, the same way that uh, you assume if somebody had an Atari, they probably played Pac-Man or you know, Space Invaders kind of thing. Right, if they had yeah. a Nintendo uh, entertainment system or Famicom, they probably played Super Mario Brothers. For people who are a little bit younger uh, than us, um, perfectly reasonable that Halo might have been the first game they played on their first game system, the Xbox, the original right. one. So, mm-hmm. And it was the around. reason to buy a 360 was to get Halo 3, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty pretty killer property. So um, not surprised that they've turned it into um, live action um, stuff. I think I've seen maybe one or two um, animated items, uh, I want to say, on Netflix. So right. not, not surprising I, that Paramount Plus is putting some money behind this. Yeah, and, and I shared a clip with you guys that uh, Halo was actually introduced at a Mac world by Steve Jobs because it was it was on Mac. And I th- is, is it Bungie that Microsoft bought and that yeah. made that yep. game? Yep. Correct. Yeah, well, I guess that, was, that was kind of a scoop. So it's interesting. Like I, it's an op- I think it was OpenGLES or OpenGL or something like that that, that uh, it was written in originally. And, and uh, yeah, so Steve Jobs actually introduced Introduced it and then you know Microsoft snatched it right away from him. Anyway, okay, cool. Well, I'm up next with some Matrix news. I've got a lot of Matrix news here to, to, today, folks. So strap in. Um, so we talked about Hugo Weaving not coming back to the Resurrections uh, version of Matrix, and but there is an Agent Smith character, and I've got a trailer here showing the actor who's playing uh, Agent Smith. So I'll leave that in the show notes for you to, to watch and see if you if you haven't already seen Matrix Resurrections by the time you get to the show, which is still doubtful, as Jonathan will fill us in later. Mm-hmm. And the next little piece I've got is really kind of interesting. It's uh, it's a twenty minute video that's been made. It's been making rounds for like the last week, but um, Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss were both in an interview where they're, sit- they're sitting on a couch talking about the making of The Matrix Resurrection, and they go through a really interesting thing, and part of the clip is they show um, a basically uh, an, a full figure of Keanu Reeves as the younger Neo, you know, with the short hair and the, the whoa and all that kind of stuff from, from the original movie 20 years ago, and because he looks like he looks like John Wick now. I mean, like, that's, I think yeah. that's sort of the, the look that Keanu going for the longer hair the beard yeah the beard yeah the, the unshaven cheeks and all that kind of stuff right and um so it's interesting to see him that way but they absolutely so they have an avatar version of him like a, a motion capture version of him at the age that he's at now plus they have one of him as the younger neo and they have there's a sort of a couple of uh, fl- films i've seen around uh, and the, they also they also did uh, carry on moss too for the for the obviously for the for the uh, movie because there's a there's a commercial or a scene where they're they're driving in a car as their younger selves and um so it, it, it's it, it's interesting because it, because this whole sort of like is it really them or do they really need the actor to be in the shot kind of deal is like it's that good like if you saw the if you saw the clip when they first sort of switch over to the to the younger neo you, you kind of get the it, oh it looks like uh you know uh, like like the star wars uh, rogue one kind of stuff where they did peter cushing and and um fisher carrie fisher carrie fisher um they um yeah that's the way my brain works john you should know that by oh now. that's why i'm here i understand that's my role here <laughs> on the show 
Yeah. So, so, but, but it's really fascinating to see the, the sort of the stuff that's coming out of it. Like, you know, the, the big thing in the original Matrix was that, you know, it won the Academy Awards for special effects and stuff like that because they, they had that bullet time thing, which we'll, I'll talk about a bit in a bit as well. But that was sort of the groundbreaking thing that, that did that for them. And, and I, I don't know about you guys, but for me, the reason I bought a DVD player was because of the Matrix, right? Uh, I think we, we probably had a um, PlayStation 2 in the family at that point in time, but, uh, yeah, but uh, I didn't personally have one. So anyway, but uh, yeah, that's cool. So, so definitely watch this video. Um, check out the story. They talk about the making of the movie, and they also but they also show some of the visual effects, like the red chairs that uh, Neo sees in, in the construct when you know, Lawrence Fishburne is introducing a Neo to the to the the whole idea of the Matrix, right? Anyway, oh, the training programs, I guess. So that's me uh, with um, Carrie Ann and uh, Matrix. We'll come back to the Matrix in a bit, but over to Jonathan. Yeah, we had a, a couple of, uh, of deaths to to talk about this week. The the first one is There's Anne three Rice. three deaths to talk about this week. There we have three deaths to talk about this week, but we're going to start with Anne Rice, who, uh, of course, her most famous work is Interview with the Vampire, which was adapted into a major motion picture with uh, some guy... Uh, Tom something or other and um, Brad, Brad Pitt, Pitt. yeah yeah and, and the uh, young girl what was her name um, well, that's Kristen Dunst Kristen Dunst yes yeah when she was like 10 or something uh, yeah so she was uh, she was a pretty influential author she started her career in the 70s she wrote interview with the vampire she wrote a whole bunch of those uh, vampire lustat uh, stories that were quite popular she was uh, sort of uh, instrumental in in sort of that whole goth uh, vampire monster wave that sort of carried through into the eighties and nineties, and uh, yeah, pretty pretty big career for her. So uh, she died this week at the age of eighty, and uh, obviously, yeah, big career for her. The I want to ask something before yeah. we carry on. Yeah, yeah, was Keanu Reeves in that movie too? Interview with the Vampire. He was in some vampire movie. Maybe he, oh no, he was in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, Dracula playing right. the, uh, He was whoa, whoa. Is like the only word that comes to mind for that one. Uh, that is that? one of the finest examples of why not to do a bad accent if you can't do accents in oh. film history. <laughs> it was uh, it was not quite as bad as Tom Cruise in Far and Away trying to do an Irish accent, but it was pretty terrible trying to do a British accent. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was pretty awful. It was pretty awful. Uh, the other death that I have here is uh, Masayuki Iwamura, who is a name you probably don't recognize, but damn, if you haven't uh, experienced the, his work or certainly the legacy of his work, he was the pioneer of uh, computer video games, home consoles, and he was the, um, the, the guy who basically created the NES, the original 1980s mm. Nintendo Entertainment System. And uh, yeah, he was the lead architect in, uh, in developing this, this home console that just absolutely took the world by storm and really brought video games forward after uh, a bit of the fizzle out from the sort of Atari post-ET crash. Uh, the Nintendo really just revitalized home video gaming and, and took it forward from there. So, I mean, this man leaves behind an incredible legacy. 
Uh, so mm. yeah, wanted to give him a shout out because uh, yeah, that's it's a big contribution to to culture. Yeah, and of course, Mike Nesmith passed away this week of natural causes apparently. Um, mm. But he had just finished touring with with the Mickey Dolans. Um, I think people like people were posting videos. I saw him like maybe two weeks ago uh, singing, you know, the the hits from the Monkeys as well. Yep, the the uh, third three monk three monkeys down, one monkey to go. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, I, I completely forgot that I used to watch the Monkeys all the time. I I mean, that was another show that was on TV in, in reruns in the in the 70s as well. So, yeah, I think Saturday was on kind of thing. Even when I was a kid, it was on all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Next one is uh, interesting. So the, the statement here is that Netflix is making a live action Mega Man movie. Mega Man being the uh, longtime video game series that originated on the Nintendo Entertainment System or mm-hmm. Famicom. So kind of interesting uh, to see, you know, more video game properties. We just talked about Halo a few minutes ago and now uh, Mega Man. Uh, of course, there's a Super Mario Brothers movie that we, uh, I think that one's an animated one. This one is live action for reasons that do not make sense to me because it seems like it would work. <laughs> really. I mean, you, this is an audio only medium, but uh, for those of you transporting at home, if you pull off to the side of the road and, and check the show notes, um, you know, they could just take a 3D animated sort of movie and make a really cool thing. Thing, and it uh, it'd be way easier than trying to please the fans with you know uh, a live action thing. See uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, see uh, Cowboy Bebop. Um, but nevertheless, they're they're going to go for it, and this is a, a popular character, uh, not as uh, meteoric of a character as uh, you know, Mario, but uh, still in there in the in the Hall of Fame. Cool. I, I actually remember playing that game on one of Jonathan's systems. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's it, it does speak to it though. It's kind of funny that uh, they just keep going to the AP uh, the IP well right they just they can't come up with like a an entirely original concept they're just like oh what hasn't been made into a movie yet oh mega man sure yeah but you know what it's funny like you you guys say that but like for the last 10 15 years they've been digging into my well right and bringing back all the things that i would have watched when i was a kid like you know like like i give you a perfect example maverick remember the maverick movie oh yeah Mm -hmm. which was like what (laughs) you know with will smith and and kevin klein but the whole that was Wild Wild West. Maverick was... Wild Wild West, uh, yeah, that's another one. Maverick as well. I think Maverick was probably... Mel Gibson um, and... Mel Gibson, uh, yeah. Oh, God, who else was in that? James... Uh, oh, God, what was the guy? The original actor was in it, right? James Garland? James Garner. Garner? Garner, yes. Yeah. James Garner. He was, in, he was, yeah, he was a card card shark in that one. And then, but then also they, um, they like, they keep bringing those ones back. And, and the reason they do that, and the reason why, you know, you see all these, you know, gray-haired guys with ponytails going to see concerts these days is because they, we now have money. Right. And like in, in as much as we had money to go see concerts and movies and stuff. Now you guys have money. So they're going to your sort of stuff. This is why we're getting X-Men and we're getting, you know, all the, the video game titles coming back out now. Right makes sense right don't you think yeah i mean i think it's true that nostalgia is a powerful motivator and you know i I joked with my sons as we over the last few years have sort of put away some of their old toys it's funny how we just continually uh in this sort of cyclical routine we end up you know, everybody sort of gets wistful for the things that they enjoyed in their youth. So people go back and read the old books. They read the old comics. They watch the old movies. Then, you know, of course, all those things start to generate heat again. So then, of course, the studios jump on those things. And, you know, musical trends come around and fashion trends come around. It, it all just keeps going around in circles. i put another link in here as to will this movie have as great of a theme song as the 1990s Mega Man TV show? 
<laughs> with with wonderful lyrics uh super fighting robot mega man repeated many many times and then fighting to save the world it's it, it slaps more than that kiddos i'm not quite <laughs> getting it i'm not video. quite getting it uh, Jaime, can you can you sing it for can me? you sing can it for us i think you're, we yeah. already sang in this episode could you yeah, sing for it's us? mostly it, it, it's mostly electronic music that is the sort of like bass line and that super fighting robot mega man <laughs> super fighting robot mega man so how we made not, jaime sing on the show i, it's love, not, it. Uh, I love it you know, it, it it probably gets better residuals because of having lyrics versus just being purely yeah, Don't sing anymore. We can't afford it. Don't sing anymore. <laughs> that's that's it. right. <laughs> Speaking of kicking a dead horse. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, or a beast, as the case may be. So, Fantastic Beasts Part 3... Uh, I just want to, you know, you know, I always go on about how George Lucas said there was you know, three movies and then he made up this whole thing about six movies and oh no, I meant nine movies and oh no, maybe 12 or 15 movies, right? Yeah. J.K. Rollins, I'm only writing seven books. Yeah. And then some movies and a play. And by the way, people don't like me anymore because of what I say on the online, on social media. So I'm going to try and do things differently. Um, Fantastic Beasts 3, The Secrets of Dumbledore. We got our first trailer this week and a little more in-depth look. And it's funny because the series obviously started with, you know, focusing on the character of Newt Scamander and sort of assembling this group. And, and bit by bit, they seem to be sort of clawing him into the background a little bit and uh and you know uh, it seems like they're going to pull some of the fan favorite stuff a little more closer to the front hence the word dumbledore in the title and wanting people to suddenly uh pay more attention to it so yeah uh did you watch the trailer i did watch the trailer and it's interesting i was going to comment on the fact that uh this was our first really good look at uh mads mickelson as grindelwald Mm -hmm. of course having replaced Mm -hmm. the deposed johnny depp following his um scandal right so interesting uh i wonder how they might address that or if they'll bother to address that or if they'll just wash it away and just say well it, it is it is what it is but he's put on some weight you know COVID uh, weight. a significant amount of weight is pretty couldn't have found two people differently proportioned than mads mickelson and <laughs> johnny depp but, but... There, were, there were two things in the, that they said in the, in the trailer that i thought were, were significant one was that he says as he's pulling the, th- the threads out of the the head i forget what they call those things the the pensives right yeah yeah pulling um, the memories out yeah yeah that he's you know gonna create the or or something to do with the most powerful wizard of all time sort of deal right and mm-hmm. yet wasn't that tom riddle like well before tom later? riddle it was grindelwald right like oh really yeah okay. if you, in in the books they certainly make reference to the fact that grindelwald was sort of the big bad before tom riddle was the big bad okay, Voldemort okay. was the big bad so and at one point um jude law says to somebody else four points to gryffindor yeah yeah <laughs> like what <laughs> yep yeah, like it's when, it's a thing. I mean, was the school in existence supposedly by that time? Oh yeah, the school's been around for oh, okay. like a thousand years at this point. Okay, all right, okay, okay, all right. I'll buy it then. But yeah, it's definitely a. Um, I suspect there might be a smidgen of revisionist history mixed into this. Just having looked at the trailer and how they're sort of address. I mean, obviously we we knew some of the events that had happened. We didn't know how they happened. We know that there was eventually there was this huge uh, fight, legendary fight between Dumbledore and. 
Grindelwald, which obviously this whole series is building towards. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see as this starts to come together. I, I really like the Harry Potter uh, universe. I've, I've definitely enjoyed the books, the movies, the, you know, the all, all of it. Uh, I wish J.K. Rowling would shh. But at the same time... Um, I'm curious about this movie. I don't know. I'm. I. It's. It, it's taken them so long to churn these ones out. It's hard to sort of like. I can't even barely remember when they started showing this trailer. I was like, oh yeah, where did we leave that character again? And what was happening? Yeah, I was just exactly. completely lost. And uh, you know, I'm sure that by the time this gets all hyped up and they do all the promotion and everything else, I'm sure I will cycle back around, rewatch the the, the first two, and be more psyched mm. for it. But in the interim, I was just like. What's happening again? <laughs> so is she writing these or? I believe she is. Or she's she directing is all, them. She is working on them. I, I think she's working on the screenplay, but I think she has co-writers. I can't, I can't recall off the top of my head. Well, it's common. It's a common thing in the art world that, you know, an art, an artist hires younger people to help, you know, apprentices or whatever to do. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it could be that she's working on the, the plot like she has a concept of how, she's how like this went down editor sort of thing yeah exactly. and it's possible that they're working on specifically dialogue scene structure that kind of stuff but she's working on you know like the big beats and 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 that too uh saying like okay you have to hit these 20 20 marks in the movie the rest of it you can fill in the blanks or whatever but yeah, I, yeah. i'm always fascinated by that i really would uh, as, as somebody who has dabbled a little as a writer i i do find the idea of collaboration like that i've i've worked as a collaborative writer on journalistic pieces and just sharing contributions like how where did this paragraph go where did this paragraph go how do you build a structure even on like a 3000 word journalistic piece is challenging i cannot imagine writing a book like that or writing a screenplay like that it must be very very um challenging to sort of say okay well this is better than that this should go this should stay like it must be a really interesting and sometimes challenging process well i think the whole purpose of writing a screen of doing a screenplay has got to be different i mean in as much as blocking out for stage play and that kind of stuff would be right because i mean oh, yeah you know our main complaints about you know the, the harry potter movies is they're that they're not as deep or as well thought out as the as the books and yet you know they have to put it on film and they can't you know you can write things that you just can't film right of course yeah or, or they have to throw away entire <laughs> trimesters of a, of a school year because they can't get it into a two-hour movie right so, yeah yeah i mean there's i mean the, like that, an owl uh, flies across the screen you know what i mean oh well that's it and there's there's <laughs> That fourth book is just an. It's like the telephone book. It's just absolutely massive. Yeah. The Goblet of the, Fire. The Goblet of Fire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They had to cut huge chunks out of that book, and the movie is still extremely long. Well, and, and they cut the whole the whole elf. Um, yeah. The spew on the elf. Spew. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. Yeah, I mean, they could they, like like in as much as you know, Star Wars sort of went down the road of having droids and Ewoks as separate, you know, TV cartoon shows, right? Um, they could do they could take the whole elf, you know, unionizing the elves, house elves, out of out of that and, and create a whole series of oh no, what have I done? <laughs> you know, there could be a whole series of of movies coming just out of out of that thread, right? Yeah, I mean, to you me, know? it seems like this is a franchise that they can. You know, they're almost going the opposite way that we, we talk about Star Wars, we talk about Marvel, we talk about just how much there is. Harry Potter and the Harry Potter verse has gone kind of the opposite direction. Like they are sort of very deliberate. They're deliberately keeping it as this movie franchise. They kind of haven't gone all the places you could go. You could right now, if you wanted to drive the 
the revenues up and the subscriptions up on HBO Max, because that's Warner Brothers, you could come up with a just set in Hogwarts, you know, teen teen dramedy set in Hogwarts and put it on for like 10 seasons and everybody would subscribe to watch it and you would make a ton of money off it. But I guess they don't want to do that. Maybe, you know, JK still has um, that much control over her, her IP and, and doesn't want to do that or, or whatever the, the circumstances are. But isn't are, there but... like a Harry Potter themed like park somewhere that I heard about? Oh, yeah. Down in down in Florida. And I believe there's another one. I think there's two of them that are, that are Harry Potter themed. But yeah, it's I mean, but that doesn't necessarily impede her world. You know what I mean? Like if they start telling all these spun off things where she's not necessarily the the master architect, obviously takes it out of her hands. I think that thing is kind of inevitable in the same way that it was for George Lucas. Eventually George just threw up his hands on Star Wars and said, Fine, <laughs> if you don't like what I'm doing, you effing do it. Give me my four billion dollars and go away. And, you know, more power to him. I, I if I if I was constantly being belittled for my artistic creations, I probably would, you know, consider that path as well. So it makes sense. But yeah, I think it's interesting that that for the Harry Potter stuff, they're re- really being deliberate about it. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder, what do you think the, the monthly subscription for the Harry Potter Plus channel will be? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, we talked about it. We talked about how, you know, Paramount Plus is big hook is, is Star Trek. We talk about, you know, all these different pieces of IP that are that are really driving things to certain platforms and why they're essential. We, you know, we you mentioned it right off the top of the show to in the uh, Disney Plus. Disney Plus is Marvel and Star Wars. If you're a Marvel and Star Wars fan, you got to have it. Not to mention Pixar, Disney, yeah. blah, 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 blah. You, you have to have it now. Netflix has certainly get, done a good job of creating original IP and also buying some IP at that to to become pretty, pretty required. Not, I wouldn't say it's absolutely essential. It's pretty darned essential, but I don't think it's fully essential, depending on obviously your personal viewing habits. I'm speaking for, I think, our audience and ourselves. Uh, Amazon Prime and HBO Max slash Crave they're a little hit and miss but yeah i mean what what are the essential pieces of of fantasy sci-fi ip that aren't really being tapped into and harry potter is a massive one now they are doing this thing actually uh, i'm saving it for my watch list for next week but they're doing this thing around new year's this year that is the uh, the reunion right it's the 20th anniversary of uh harry potter and the sorcerers uh what do they call it here i can't remember philosopher's stone is it philosopher's stone or sorcerer's stone anyways they um apprentice yeah yeah so uh, are they uh, they're doing this thing on hbo max in the states and i believe it's coming here to crave as well but it's basically this reunion special where they're getting the whole uh, gang back together and having them talk about this stuff i wonder truly if uh, joanne rowling is going to be part of that but i think um you know there's still a lot of interest in this movie franchise it's beloved this book franchise it's beloved you know uh, to me it seems Interesting, And again, I'm sure there's probably many myriad financial reasons that they haven't done it. But I, I, you're, I think they're sitting on a gold mine. Yeah, they're waiting for the, the you know, the, the current um, 35-year-old um, men and women to get to 50 and 60, and then they can start milking it, right? Well, and I wonder, you know, they, they did the stage performance that's still being uh, put on. Uh, oh, God, what's it called? Harry Potter and the... 
Cursed Child, Cursed, I think. Cursed Child, yes. Cursed Child. You're a good, good remembering, Jaime. Um, yeah, they're doing that one right now in, in, um, on stage. And it's supposed to be set in the future and revolves around, you know, Harry Potter and his friends when they're, you know, fully adults and they have children and it's about their children being at Hogwarts and the stuff that happens there. I would be genuinely shocked if they didn't back up the Brinks truck to, uh, you know, the actors who were in the original movies in about 10 years and say, yeah, you're right about the right age now and have them revive that. And from that spin out into even more, you know, maybe it's the, the kids from that class going to have a TV show or who knows what. Right. Yeah. I did actually see a a clip. I'll have to find it for the show notes of, of um, the three main actors, Rupert Grint and uh, Daniel Radcliffe and uh, Emma Watson, Watson. Emma Emma Watson uh, sitting down, like, you know, three chairs sort of facing each other, talking about something, but I, I hadn't actually dialed it in. And, and listen to it but i did see that this week as well yeah and it, it may well be a clip from that that special that's coming out yeah i think so maybe hey speaking of christmas speaking of christmas uh yeah this sort of popped up on i think it's on apple tv but i saw it on their twitter account this morning it's a little four minute uh cartoon for the ted lasso people jonathan included who are missing ted already um except for jaime that doesn't matter for him because he doesn't care about <laughs> ted lasso as much as the rest of us well but, especially since we spoiled it for a couple episodes yeah. I, w- I was wondering, is this short? Because uh, I saw it on Twitter as well, but didn't watch. It's... Is it spoilerific for season two? No, not at all. Not at all. Okay. In fact, in fact, there are some characters who are still in the on the team that that yeah aren't really on the team at the end of the series. But and without trying to spoil too much, but anyway, it's it's sort of it's a stop motion. Uh, I think it's done with actual actual puppets, stop motion, um, kind of you know Christmassy kind of Rankin Bass, uh, Frosty the Snowman kind of thing, um, where you know, there's, there's a um, something happens to Ted, some part of his body. I'm not going to name what that is, and um, it throws everybody for a loop, and uh, they're all helping him out. It's it's pretty funny. It's you know, it's got uh, and whenever Roy Kent opens his mouth every now and then, every now and then, like a, you know the the what do you call those little um, uh, ribbon things that you make, you know, like little star things. What do you call those things? Ribbon, you know, that you put them on presents. Uh, bows, like is that what they call them? You know those those things you stick on that got like this all folded, like yeah, yeah, that's a bow, yeah. a bow. Anyway, every now and then, every now and then, he'll be saying a sentence, and and, and one will appear in front of his mouth. Uh. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's pretty funny, and it's got everybody in it. It's got all you know the main cast in it, and uh, pretty. Cool. The only thing is that the coach isn't wearing the pants, which I thought was kind of like you know odd. But it's it's enjoyable. It's it's a, it's a good laugh. Yep, it's a good laugh. But anyway, check that out. It's a Christmas uh, Ted Lasso Christmas biddy four minute lot short, and I think it's probably it's probably on the YouTube and stuff like that. But it is on Apple TV, and and I was able to I don't know I I clicked on the link and I was able to watch it. So I assume other people can too, even if they don't have Apple. Maybe I can just click on it right now and let us know. Yeah, it's it's playing in my web browser. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. That, that's how I watched that. I just I just opened it up in Twitter and watched it. So you don't have to have Apple TV to see it. No, I thought you meant like a call to action at the end or something. Like no, 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 no. And this little piece of information, a friend of a friend of mine from work, Nicole, uh, pointed out to me today that uh, we had a sort of a, a celebration holiday lunch, and uh, she mentioned that Futurama is coming back to Adult Swim, and it's coming back this 
week, I believe, this month, it says here in the, in the caption, right? Um, I don't know if you guys had heard this at all or knew about this, but... Uh, is it this is back? not new... Oh, it's reruns. It's, it's, reruns, it's right? reruns returning, right? Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's, the way... that's the part I was confused about when, when I saw your note. I wasn't sure mm-hmm. if this meant new episodes. I hadn't heard anything about new episodes. No, no, but apparently it's, I guess the show is coming back as, as something you can watch, which is kind of cool. Like, has it not been on TV for a while? Or Mind you, they did a whole bunch of DVD, direct-to-DVD things, didn't they? Yeah, they did, but those have been adapted into a season, basically. They, the way they, they constructed them, they put them out as DVD exclusives when the show was off the air. And then when they brought the show back to air, they basically chopped those into chunks so that they would work as episodes. I think it's here, at least in the States I can speak to. I think it's on Comedy Central, but it hasn't been on Adult Swim apparently for 14 years, according to this. Wow. Hmm. Going back. Um, and the last thing I have before we get into the main meat of the show is, uh, Jaime made me familiar with this, but if you if you use Slack or you use, you know, I think it's in Teams and it's in uh, HipChat probably, um, there is a, a meme called Sad Keanu, which is like a, which is like a wah wah kind kind of yeah. you know, sentiment. And um, yeah, so this um, this uh, Keanu Reeves is on uh, Colbert's show talking about uh, how he feels about this picture because he brought it up because he's, he's actually just done a comic book. And, and uh, it's, the funny thing is that the artist who drew the, uh, the did the art for it actually has a character sitting on a, on a, on a bench, you know, sort oh, yeah. of <laughs> in that sort of sad pouty look and and Keanu says in in the thing I'm going to spoil it for you folks but he says just I was just eating a sandwich and I had a lot on my mind it wasn't sad or whatever so the so the truth behind the sad Keanu is that he was just you know eating a sandwich yeah yep. but he was on there talking about the matrix and about the comic book as well it's called berserker berserker you can't say you can't enunciate that one berserker berserker okay whatever yeah it's b r z r k r Berserker. Yeah, yeah. Is that a is that a regular character or is this a new character created for this? No, he he that. created it himself, and it's uh, it's one of the hottest books around. They're only halfway. I think it's a twelve issue series, and they're yeah. they're only just I think issue five may have just come out. Issue like they're still pretty early into it. Yeah. So the one that um, that uh, Stephen Colbert had on the show was it was the first four, right? So yeah, yeah. Gathered together in one in one book. Yep. Were. Yeah. They they did I think ten trillion different variant covers of the first few issues oh my god it is it is one of the most crazily reprinted the contents of the book are identical but they have reprinted that with so many different covers i can't even keep track well, cool. Alrighty, well, we're at that part of the show, like I just hinted towards a minute ago, uh, where we all talk about something Star Trek-ish. And this week, of course, we're talking about Discovery Season 4, Episode 5, The Examples. And Jaime is going to do the recap, so over to you. Yeah, this kind of breaks down into five sort of sections that I described here, right? There's kind of the, the overarching thing that happens, which is Zora, the AI's, the ship's AI's development, which kind of feels like they're leading us down the path of what we saw in the short trek, right? Where the fully actualized intelligent being that has uh, apparently been abandoned for a long time before it was found by, um, I forget the character's name. Um, I'm sure we'll find that one, <laughs> right? But you, but you all remember you, the short trek, You keep going, right? I'll find it yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah um, I'll find it too. Then you've got a, an A story, which is uh, Michael and Book basically trying to help the, um, the, the species of the week, right? So the, the sort of main series plot continues with 
with the DMA. Uh, I forget what that stands for, but it was like the big anomaly that's, um, you know, that destroyed Quajon. Dark matter and... anomaly. Thank you. Dark matter anomaly. Oh, but from now on, I'll be referring to it as the uh, Trek star because that's essentially what we're dealing with now. Yeah, yeah, it kind of fits that sort of thing, right? It's this interesting MacGuffin for the the background of of the whole season. Uh, in this case, they're trying to save the species of the week. There's um, this asteroid system, and uh, you know we've got the, the the Star Trek trope of a species just unreasonably and irrationally spits in the face of Starfleet. <laughs> Who's here to help? All right. So you've got the, uh, I think the administrator of that planet, right? They're like, all right, that's cool. You got to get everybody out. And our crew is like, hey, wait a minute. But there's like six people. They're not near the evacuations. Oh, yeah. Well, those are the prisoners. Whatever. Who cares? Right. They're not being even people to begin with. <laughs> Right. Uh, no, we're going to go save them. So, all right, cool. And then they go down and try to, uh, Michael and Book, you know, go down and try to save these prisoners. And it's, you know, pretty well guarded, but there's no guards to unlock stuff. And the prisoners themselves seem like they also want to culturally spit in the face of Starfleet for <laughs> people who are trying to save them from, like, dying a horrible death. Right. And I wrote uh, the Troy Palomalu led prisoners because I couldn't remember that guy's name. And he absolutely reminded me of the Hall of Fame safety from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Actually, I, I looked it up because uh, we'll talk a little bit about him more at the end. But uh, his name is Michael Gray Eyes, and he is a uh, Indigenous Canadian. He's Plains Cree from Saskatchewan, oh, yeah. and he was incredibly captivating. Yeah, he was. He was. I think there's a reason they chose that actor for for this role of like the six prisoners who have their sort of own things. They are uh, quote the examples. Like they mm-hmm. for the most part did like really trivial kind of crimes, and they're there for like life they're there for 20 years for things like oh like I stole I, food right yeah i stole yeah. food i i took a joyride in like a helicopter kind of thing like, all right you know it's not good nobody's saying it's good stuff to do but it's just unreasonable except we do find out in this a storyline that uh so he's gray eyes what, what was the character's name did you find the character felix. Name? felix so that guy had actually not fritz felix yeah <laughs> right so that guy had actually murdered somebody right like not intentionally he was there to steal some stuff and uh you know he got discovered in, in the plot to steal and and murdered uh the the homeowner but it turns out you know he didn't know the guy's um the victim's daughter was just like in the next room and oh by the way he you know stole some stuff he didn't realize he had stolen their like memory sphere that has their like family tree in history it's like an heirloom sort of thing for this species yep and so he's like been living with that for a long time and that's in the main storyline of like you know gotta get prisoners off the planet before or off the asteroid before asteroid explodes or, or gets otherwise destroyed you have that line that i thought was interesting you also have the b story which is stamets and reno with uh tarka a new character uh, apparently a a scientist who feels like stamets on steroids <laughs> just yeah, take yeah. season one stamets make him even jerkier make him even even more brilliant and and less you know we're in the fourth season here and stamets has evolved quite a bit where they've, they've no he's not he's still and, petulant and and you know he is but having, well he's, but having degree, you around right? having his husband around like really stabilizes him okay i think yeah he's he's still jerky but he's had a lot of the rough edges polished off of yeah. him over the the several seasons we have but but this guy tarka is definitely season one yeah. you are lesser than me uh stamets right he's the the lone brilliant genius jerk 
kind of character. Um, so they're, you know, trying to figure out, you know, can they simulate uh, in kind of a dangerous way, but but can they simulate what the DMA itself is and how it works? And they believe it's not a natural thing, right? They're pretty convinced now, like they went through, oh, maybe it's Ioconian survivors. Maybe it's the Q. No, we haven't heard from the Q in 600 years. That was that's... an interesting name drop. Yeah. Well, let's come back to that. Ties one, right back math... into Picard, right? Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, well, we're in the 32nd century. You take six centuries off of that. You get roughly, you know, 26th century. Um, again, not trying to be super accurate, right? Like if you describe like, how old is America? I, was like, I don't know. It's like more than 200 years, less than three, <laughs> right? I'm not going to get down to exact numbers. So we know that Picard... Like 10,000 actually, yeah. We know that Star Trek Picard takes place in around early 25th century. I think it's late 24th, early 25th, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if you assume he lives a decent chunk into almost 26th century, that's pretty reasonable to say, oh, maybe the Q haven't contacted anybody at all because it was only Q himself who cared sort of obsessively about Picard, mm-hmm. right? Well, so it makes you, makes you also wonder if we may see some resolution with the Q continuum, the trial and all that stuff in Picard. Do we know if Q actually was not just in Jean-Luc Picard's head? Because other people saw him, right? He's he's not quite uh, the great kazoo <laughs> from the Flintstones, right? You're right. Yeah, yeah. Because um, everybody sees him. Like again, he has that one episode where he just messes with Riker the whole time too, right? Like he gives yeah. Riker the powers and yeah, yeah. And then underneath this, we've also got the C story, which is Culber dealing with his sort of repressed trauma and emotions and it's kind of funny because he is taking a very uh, strong role as the ship's counselor yeah. uh, beyond just you know the the sort of physical medical area and when he talks to Cronenberg Cronenberg's like are you, aren't you just being like the savior complex <laughs> it's like you're just throwing yourself into this work trying to save others because you have unresolved feelings about your demise and return from the dead yeah yeah so this, this, that, that that scene between uh, yeah Cronenberg as as Kovic and and uh, and Culber was was so good. It was so good. Cronenberg just playing it like straight as an arrow. Oh my god, he was so funny. Yeah, and you know it, because they've got this tech. When I saw um, Kovic glitch out for a little bit, I was like, wait, is that a Paramount Plus thing? Oh no, no, he's just a hologram because he's a busy you know, person. They, yeah, yeah. Well, they, but they also like for those of you wondering, well, how did you just how did you not know he was a hologram? I was like, well, one like people just casually transport in and out of places mm. so i thought oh maybe and i just didn't see him in. transported yeah yeah right so when i saw him glitch i was like oh stupid paramount plus why are you glitching oh wait no it was just, literally just him not, <laughs> not, the entire, not the entire scene um so i guess coming back to the way that the whole a b uh, stories are sort of tied together is you know michael and book save most of the prisoners except for Felix, who has decided he's going to pay his penance, right? He's like, you know, maybe, maybe the anomaly doesn't hit us and I will just live my life out here. Or maybe it does hit us and I'm just going to die. But uh, he hands over the little uh, family heirloom spear over to Michael's like, hey, go go give it to this family name, right? This, you know, please do me that, that honor of it. We do end Have up these seeing people the... not heard of the blockchain either. That's my first thing I thought of when they illuminate the tree, right? <laughs> I mean, I think it's different. Um, you know, we can go into like what we saw out of Star Trek Picard of like Picard has the the like quantum level copy of, yeah. of, of his stuff, right? Like he just shoves it all in the shoebox and it gets, you know, at a quantum level reconstructed. Is it, you know, uh, yeah, and it's like Mr. Philosophy Spock with his little 
those floppy disks exactly yeah, yeah yeah is it exactly the same yeah i don't know i mean there's there's in an area or sorry in an era where you can replicate anything at will um are how do we put value on physical objects? I could see how it's like, no, it is this one. We can check its quantum signature. We can check it. That's true. Like, this is the one that like, you know, grandpappy's grandpappy uh, started, right? Yes, we could, you know, right click and, you know, duplicate and call it good, but it's not the same, right? It's not the one that he actually touched. Yeah, there will, there will still be in the, you think for centuries to come, as much as we are in one way enabling a future where physical possessions are less valuable, I think in a way that make them more valuable specifically heirlooms and things like that things that belong yeah. to older generations yeah. etc i think that's how you're supposed to view it is that you know some things are irreplaceable i think is the message here right yeah yeah um so he he ends up dying uh the, the disco you know zips away and we tie things together with the final scene with um book getting drunk in the 10 forward bar equivalent and tarka coming up and talking about kind of how far along they got books like like insanely obsessed with the idea of like if it's not a natural phenomenon if, if there's a people i, I want to go punch said people in the face yeah right and i think you can help me and the tarka's like yo i don't know who it is yet um but it seems like those two will get up to, to things because tarka himself has um am i correct in thinking that scar was like the emerald chain bomb yeah. thing that they had in his neck it probably I was, was removed say, i was gonna ask about that actually that, yeah. that was my guess i did do a I, like i thought about it and then i looked to see if anybody had any sort of theories online i didn't really see much that other than people just started thinking mysterious mark on the back of his neck but i think jaime you're you're bang on i think that that was supposed to be a reference to him having been uh you know subjugated at the hands of somebody at some point and and mm. uh yeah clearly understanding pain in a way that book can relate to yeah yeah so there we go that's how things um tie together there there is one cute scene with uh culver and um stamets uh you know having the the getting ready to go to sleep sort of conversation and stamets talking about like oh this dude's such a jerk since totally only cares about his his work <laughs> culver's like you know i live with you right <laughs> yeah this is exactly you <laughs> yeah. yeah i love you despite these here. things yeah. well and then they <laughs> right. then they both look at each other and realize that they're both kind of narcissistic and that they're both kind of obsessed with their work and they're like oh i guess we're both in love with ourselves sort of like yeah it's a pretty funny scene mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there we go uh, did you mention jet, jet reno i'm uh, briefly in the in the b story with stamets and reno mm-hmm. and tarka uh, she had some some good uh, good scenes there and it looks pretty good in the in the operations yellow i think the, mm-hmm. the costumes uh for the the uniforms are really really spot on this year yeah i think we talked about that last week like man the whoever's responsible for the costumes i really should I'm, i'll look that up for next week but damn they are killing it this year uh so last week we had the sort of quote-unquote surprise of tilly departing disco to go to starfleet academy it appears that uh adira went with her Oh, really? I didn't see Adira in this episode. And no, I didn't either. Yeah, no, it made right. me wonder if uh, maybe because she, she does say in, in last, excuse me, they say in last week's episode that they have made friends for the first time. And, mm-hmm. you know, we knew that Tilly was going. We saw Tilly going by herself. We didn't see Adira go 
as well, but I wonder if that's... I'm trying to remember, what was, Adir, what was Adira's origin story on the show? Like, uh, did they find her somewhere? Or? Uh, uh, Adira, they grew up on a generational ship, I think they mm, said. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they said that they, they grew up on a generation ship, and they, um, yeah, they, they got involved in the Federation stuff, I think, because of... of um, tall right the, the she's from this time though right she's from this time uh no they yeah they're they're from the future yeah like they're or they're from the now but the, i think they were supposed to have bonded with that group of cadets and i don't know if they've joined the, the starfleet academy now because they say last episode that they're they are an ensign now right mm-hmm. and yeah it could be that they just went on this week's episode, but I wonder. Did it not? It occurred to me after we had our conversation last week, and I and I regretted not bringing it up. But did it not seem like a backdoor pilot for like a? You know, sometimes they do that where they bring on like certain characters and situations, and then you're like, oh, and then they're gonna spin that off into something else. Like you know, the, the sort of the George Ow stuff where you know they've laid enough groundwork that when they eventually do a George Ow series, you're like, oh, okay, that makes perfect sense as a spinoff from from this. Does Starfleet Academy in the future reviving Starfleet Academy with like Tilly and Adira mm. and Kovic not seem like a series? Hmm. I hadn't thought about that. Feels like that's why they might be having them hang around in these plots for, you know, if it if it picks up traction, they can have a natural launching point. If it doesn't, oh well, it's not like a, a yeah. huge impact on the story. It does make sense because in, in our current generation of, of Star Trek, um, it's all in San Francisco. And if you're not, you know, San Francisco is far, far away from most of the places these trips go. Mm-hmm. But it seems like the this current academy is somewhere out in the yeah far reaches of space yeah yeah but it's accessible somehow right yeah i mean especially when you you see how quickly they can zap in and out with their transporters and stuff well and if they're working on advancing the uh mycelial network and, and replicating what disco can do then that opens up a whole lot of worlds I don't know. The more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, so doing a Star Trek Academy series, there's been talk of doing that for 35 years. Like, it's a no-brainer, right? It's a show. Like, how could you how could you not do that at some point? It seems like an absolute slam dunk, especially in, in a world where you're trying to get more people invested in the Star Trek universe at different levels, right? So we talk about, obviously, things like Prodigy, things like Lower Decks, things like, you know, the, the different types of shows with sort of different entry points starfleet academy with a group of young people and then a group of maybe some people that we recognize as the the professors and stuff like that that just seems like an absolute slam dunk i'd watch it (laughs) uh okay so i have i have a question for you both so at the end of the episode, the the magistrate of this sort of asteroid cluster, yeah, uh, you know, who has already established himself as a bit of a, a prat by you know uh, saying, yeah, we left these six people behind and good for them they deserve to, to die so we already don't have good feelings about him he marches onto the bridge to confront uh burnham and sort of you know blah 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 how dare you blah blah blah, blah. and she's like uh your planet just got absolutely toasted so you are yeah, you're a refugee you're there, a refugee yeah. here aboard the ship now so maybe you as now considering you, you have no authority since there's no place for you i guess you should probably just back off and get lost so he storms onto the bridge and confronts her and then he storms off the bridge can anybody just get on a turbo lift nowadays like what <laughs> <laughs> what? You just walk onto the bridge? You know, exactly. okay, so I think it's funny, because first of all, like, A, obviously this is an older designed ship. We established that. They retrofitted the Discovery. But if you can yeah. site-to-site transport whenever you want, 
want, and Burnham uses that all the time. Why do you have a turbo lift, first of all? Beyond that, is, is it literally like a public, is it like an escalator in a, in a department <laughs> store? Like, can anybody just hop on and go wherever they want? Like, security, yeah. hello? Like, and when this guy like storms under the bridge with a mad look on his face, why don't like 10 people shoot him? Yeah, or jump in, jump in the way of like block him from getting to the captain. Yeah, who, you like think somewhat valuable, right? Yeah, or and even like I guess like you know obviously they're trained in diplomacy and everything else, but you think somebody might take a defensive posture or? Well, you know, it's another interesting thing too. Is like like um, I get that this show is all about Michael Burnham and how wonderful she is and all that kind of stuff, but Picard never went on away missions. Riker went. Yeah, but I think you know that was I mean? supposed to be because Picard had that conflict with Riker. Riker was like, "I will never let you put yourself in jeopardy like that." Like that. They established right. that right off the hop. That right. he's like, I, was like, yeah, go ahead. I, I can run the ship if you die. I don't care. Yeah. Like, is that the the deal? You know, like like I, like you think that chain of command and all that kind of stuff. Like the the top. I mean, admittedly, we 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 started this whole thing with Kirk, who's like always had to be the savior of the day, right? Oh yeah. Um, you know, and and well, there, but he couldn't do anything without Spock or McCoy. But, yeah. Um, he had to drag them along in his little. Bit. Mind you, that's because they had a, sh- a small cast, so that makes sense. From we were talking about writing or. Earlier, yeah. right? but, but you know it's kind of like every single crisis that comes up it's like oh i'll do that oh i'll like like last week she was going to volunteer herself as tribute to between the two societies where you know she was going to vet all the yeah the, the federation and the navarre yeah yeah and then and then this week she's like she's single-handedly going down to rescue these people and oh yeah you can come and run the transport if you like and yeah me and book are going to go break these people out of jail and whatever right you know it's like we're, we're going to be we're going to do the mercenary task <laughs> well and it's funny because if you think about it in a militaristic way or even a scientific way when you're talking about you know if you if you look at it as a combination of u.s navy and nasa right this is essentially what these two organizations have fused is is space exploration nasa scientific research mixed with the structure of a naval vessel yeah, there's no world in which the command crew of the vessel does that kind of stuff. They have, you know, all these sub-commanders and delegates and, you know, other people who are responsible for all these different execution of tasks. It doesn't make sense for the captain to lead an away mission ever. That, like, it no, would never, exactly. never well, it's fly. Like a, it's like advance. Like, advance is more of a more of a leader than, or or the president, uh, Rilek, or they're more leaders than than she is. Or even, even Cronenberg, he pops in and says, sorry, I got a two o'clock and he's out you know like i'm i'm already late for my next meeting boom gone yeah yeah but you know yeah it's kind of it's it's kind of silly that you know i mean again like i said it's i know we're supposed to think that the world revolves around sunika martin green but well and it does um, she's fantastic but no i i get that but i mean but that's the thing so like then and i was thinking about that today too like you know when she, she goes on the calm and does her announcement to the whole ship i mean like when did she learn to do that you know like like that's not something you know those kind of executive thingies you know unless she less while during this hiatus they they went and she went to like you know captain school or something you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well but, she would have gone to like command training and all that she was an officer true true but you know i don't know if you remember the very like first or second episode she was like in the brig no she was but that's not to say she didn't actually go through all that training she did, that's didn't true. clearly my, my, absorb my point, all of my it point but... is, yeah yeah i know i get it i mean like you know yeah it, it doesn't it, it makes i mean it makes sense from the point of view of convenience and i mean like the reason why we have a transporter in the first place is because they didn't have the budget to land ships and do models and stuff like that right yep 
that's why they came up with the transporter in the first place, right? Um, you know, and and so like that was a that was a convenience of of you know the the writing basically supporting the budget of the show originally, right? But yeah, and you have to have a single character, but like why can't there be like a captain like Vance, and then Burnham is like the first or second in command who goes off and does all the the mercenary tasks, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you would take your best, you know, clandestine people to go break people out of a jail, right? Yeah, for sure. Like, well, you, you, yeah, you essentially have possibly. a tactical team that did those kinds of on-the-planet yeah. rescues things and were fully trained, and that's what they did for a living. Right. And yeah, of well, course. in the Enterprise show, which everybody hates, I mean, they had they had the military arm as yep. well as the the command arm, right? Like they had the the dude with the big two-handed rifle thing. Yeah, which you would in a time of war, of course. Like then they're not yeah. a scientific vessel; they're a military vessel, and it is what it is, right? Yeah. So I mean. Like, like like this so I mean well I mean the enterprise was always sort of supposed to have been a science sciencey kind of thing but then but they had security right mm-hmm. and security were guys wearing red shirts right mm-hmm. um, so it's kind of it's kind of funny how you know I don't know for, if you're if you're a you know militarist purist you know then it doesn't make sense that Michael does all the heavy lifting right no it's but just good it's just good TV as opposed to good logic. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I also think like, it's like, in like Luke Skywalker has to rescue Gorg. Um, what's his name? Gorgu, or whatever his name. Oh, is, Grogu. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grogu. Yeah. I also think it kind of fits in with Michael's personality, right? Where she goes rogue. She's you know, mm-hmm. if this is a well, all the more reason not to put her in the command chair. Well, wow. I mean, if she was a police, if this is a police serial, she would be the the, the hotshot, reckless yeah. detective, yeah. and 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 either Vance or the president really would yeah. be the, yeah. the the sergeant who like you're a loose cannon, Michael. You know, <laughs> yeah. turn in your badge. Yeah, and your she's gun. kind of the she's kind of the Chekhov of of this thing. Like Chekhov was always the loose cannon, right? Like the flighty. Well, they always. You know. I mean, yeah, they've already done. She she did that in the first season. She had the bit of the conflict with Vance, and then in this season, she's already had the bit of the conflict like rubbing things the wrong way with with relic who you know they're like mm-hmm. they do think that about her you know relic pretty much says it in in the in the first episode right that she's a you know does her things her own way and you know is not necessarily a fan of the way she does things either but by the same token that she takes her aside and says you know we're doing this this way because it's politically more feasible it's more better it's better for the, the federation that we let the you know the bad um nun go back to vulcan for for punishment as opposed to us doing it you know yeah like she killed a federation officer oh no you know like like that's a high crime right well you know it is murder but yeah uh, a couple of things that uh, i also wanted to hit so um i wanted to talk about the uh, awesome battle bugs the uh the the really cool replicate life thing life forms indigenous life forms and turning them into bombs that like throw rotating knives like that was pretty badass that was really cool i thought that was i like that a lot the other one was uh zora we didn't really talk too much about zora but well uh, i mean talked about her in the very beginning yeah like, so briefly, just, briefly yeah just to circle back so you were you were talking about i i added it to our, our show notes there we were talking about the the calypso episode of short treks where she and um what did i write down i wrote down this dude's name craft, craft yes craft. uh where zora is sort of this this living fully you know emotional creature as a ship's computer and in this episode we saw her uh expressing uh sympathy when mm-hmm. after yeah, the death yeah. of Felix uh Burnham is feeling very emotional and and uh and Zora Zora can detect it in the way she talks and mm-hmm. so there's this sort of eyebrow raising moment of you know Zora's gone from like an interesting sort of take on the the whole you know sentient computer artificial intelligence thing to like maybe 
maybe let's keep an eye on Zora. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I just Open wonder... Open the pod bay door, Zora? Yeah, yeah, this is what I'm thinking, right? Like, how long before <laughs> this becomes a problem, right? Yeah. But I was that's also thinking that about the, yeah. the Culber storyline. We, we've talked about, you know, this sort of serialistic storytelling model versus the episodic seri- uh, story mm-hmm. model that Star Trek is employing now. And, you know, they've done a nice job. We talked about how with, you know, with Book, with Tilly, with these different characters, Stamets, now with Culber, they haven't just sort of sprung these emotional beats, these story arcs on you. They really have laid these foundations and that they had been clearly building Culber towards a bit of a a crisis over the last number of episodes as he's been doing the the counseling. We've seen him sort of fraying a little bit, really nice performances by Wilson Cruz. And then in this one, we saw it obviously boil over where he has to confront Kovic and say, listen, I'm, I'm melting down here. I need, I need help. Uh, I, I, it's funny because when people talk about serialized storytelling, they're often talking about how one piece of a major story arc continues through a season. They're not necessarily talking about character development in that organic way, but the writers of the show and the actors have done such a beautiful job this last season of really giving you a logic to the motivations of these characters, to how they're feeling, to how they're doing. It's it's really, it's it's beautifully written and it's beautifully performed. I, I can't say uh, enough about it. I think Wilson Cruz is a fantastic actor, and I think he, his sort of subtle, his facial expressions over the past few episodes, his body language, and then building that towards more overt, you know, development of anxiety, crisis, existentialism, all this stuff. As uh, you know, I'm somebody who's who's dealt with you know anxiety and depression and stuff in my life. Seeing mm-hmm. him bring that to the screen felt very, very true to me, and very, uh, very well written and very well executed. That's it. That's my that's my love for him. Uh, and just yeah, once more, uh, Michael Gray eyes. Wow, what a what a captivating performance! I found myself just hoping that maybe he would make it out. It was very poignant the way that they they told the story, but he was t- just. I just wanted to watch him soliloquize. Like he was so good. Yeah, as he he was he was recently in a TV show called Rutherford Falls. I don't know if you saw that one. No. I looked up his IMDb um, and saw he's certainly been on a few things that uh, yeah. that I've seen over the years. Yeah. He's, you know, he's one of the sort of that guy kind of smaller parts. He's, he's certainly as a Canadian, you know, uh, Canadian content, he, you know, he pops up in different things. And certainly in uh, in some productions that are sort of indigenous Canadian focused or excuse me, indigenous people in Canada focused. Um, yeah, I think it's it's nice to see a little more, uh, you know, I was just we'll talk in a, in a few minutes about Hawkeye with obviously Alakwa Cox, who is. Uh, is um, an indigenous person in America. I think it's it's nice to see these, you know, a little more representation of a very underrepresented portion of the population. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Hawkeye, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so this was uh, this was moving week on Hawkeye. We got episode five entitled Ronan, and this is the penultimate episode. It wraps up uh, its final episode on December twenty third. 23rd 22nd 22nd is the final episode december 22nd this one <laughs> mm-hmm. so i i leaned over to my son before the episode started i said i have one theory and one thing i won't spoil for you but i have a theory and he said okay give me your theory i said the theory is that eleanor is in on it and he said okay i'll file that one away and then that's the mother that's the mother yeah that's kate's yeah. mom and yeah. uh and that jack is a red herring and that um and then i i had the other one in my back pocket i've had it since the beginning of even when they announced it when they announced that echo was in it i kind of knew from my comics reading where they might be going with it and i was 
praying that that's where they're going with it. And they went where they thought I was going, or I thought they were going, and it's fantastic! You're talking about the uh, D'Onofrio character? Well, we'll just start by saying, spoilers, 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 ignore what Tim just said, spoilers, and now we'll go forward. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, uh, so today, while we're recording, is the day that Spider-Man Far, uh, No Way Home is debuting in theaters here in North America. Mm, right. It's also the same, uh, it's one day after the, the episode episode of Hawkeye season five, uh, season one, episode five dropped. The uh, final scene of this one is the revelation that the big bad that uh, Clint has been fearing would get involved in this the whole time is the kingpin of crime, who, of course, was played by Vincent D'Onofrio in an absolutely amazing performance in the, in the Daredevil and in the, um, the Netflix Marvel uh, content. Mm. And okay. I we talked last week about how Charlie Cox was going to come Does back. I mean, I have to go watch Defenders now. Uh, yeah, you probably should. You probably should watch the whole okay. damn thing. But Daredevil <laughs> in particular, Daredevil is to me. Oh, yeah. d- t- season one of Jessica Jones is amazing. It's probably my favorite of all the things that I've seen so far. And I, I must admit, I haven't watched the last two or three things. But um, the Daredevil one by far is my favorite. It like just such a pitch perfect capturing of why I liked that book for my entire life and and i've been reading daredevil Mm. for 30 41 years so i can forget about the ben affleck portrayal uh yeah i think that's safe to say yeah but (laughs) um i was really hopeful when they mentioned charlie cox coming back and verifying it with with kevin feige last week that you mentioned that that would open the door to that whole netflix universe making a return in some fashion whether or not that was going to be some multiversal thing whether or not that was going to be you know actually rooted in the mcu proper that we're aware of and to get the confirmation that charlie's coming back as daredevil possibly in in far from home or far from home no uh, no way home and and now to get the confirmation that that wilson fisk kingpin of crime and the, the the big bad from that Netflix stuff is is now part of the MCU proper is just so thrilling and I just cannot wait to see how this continues to play out. It does spin into uh, the Echo series they've already announced because Echo in the comics, not to spoil too much for you guys, but is a character who starts out bad and starts to turn good. So there you go. Um, I think you guys could put two and two together on that one pretty fast anyways. But um, yeah, so they've sort of set the stage in this episode for where the where the Echo series will go. And logically, which I guess... Which one's Echo now? Uh, Echo is the uh, the Alacqua Cox character. She's the, uh, the, okay, yeah. the, the martial right. artist, the... Um, the Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, the indigenous uh, hearing impaired, person. hearing yeah, impaired. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, with the prosthetic. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, so last week I asked you because I had that sort of funny feeling about Eleanor, the mother, because you know, and it is it's awfully quick that she you know had him hauled away, right? Yeah, um, and calmly so. She's not like distraught or anything. Just like yeah. taking out the trash. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jack. Jack is undoubtedly a sketchy dude. There's no mistaking it. And again, Jack is a character who has existed in comics for about 50 years. There's plenty of more Jack to come. He is not... Uh, oh, you mean this character is not like not new to this show? He's been around for a bit. For a long, long time. For longer than I've okay. been alive. 
Right. So, um, yeah, it's it, it, he. There's there's definitely more than meets the eye with him, but he to me has always been the red herring. Right. You're supposed to suspect him because of the swords and the sword implicated in the death, but you're supposed to forget that in the very first episode we had the heated exchange between Eleanor's mom and the man who ended up dead. Right. Right. So from that, you're supposed to basically figure out that, you know, if anybody had a reason to see that person killed, it wasn't necessarily Jack who said, eventually I'll get the money. You're supposed to think that that that's him implying that he'll have this guy killed, his uncle. But we also are supposed to forget, that's conveniently forget that Eleanor, the poor grieving widow, just had this heated conversation where, you know sounded an awful lot like uh like she he was threatening her to expose her right for something well i was gonna say so now because you, you just planted an interesting seed in my head and that is that when eleanor says to kate does he think you're a superhero right yeah well if your mother or father was a superhero and had powers or something right then you would naturally inherit that right so maybe she was trying to dig whether kurt um sorry clint thought that eleanor was a suspect right yeah, I think I think she was trying to sort of gauge what what Clint knows, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, because I, clearly she knows that 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 Kate hasn't got these powers just because she's good at archery, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I get where you're going. I don't think that's where it's going. Hmm, okay. Just given, I'll extrapolate from my reading materials that I, I don't think that's where it's going. Um, really? That being said, in the comics, Eleanor is not. Um, a villain, so they can certainly make mm. twists and turns as much as they want. The other thing, well, I don't mean that she's, a, I don't mean that she's a villain. I just mean that she's a little bit more capable than your average, you know. Oh, you know, I mean, she's she's clearly she's, an intelligent again, and you don't like. I love Vera Farmiga. I think she's a fantastic actress. You don't cast her if she's not going to be like having some very important guess, scenes. And so yeah. far, she's been kind of set dressing. She's been kind of mm-hmm. this quasi paternal quasi you know sabotaging element for for kate she hasn't really had a lot of meat to chew on you gotta think that's gonna end next week Mm, okay but i think uh it it will be interesting to see how they land this plane there is still a bunch of stuff to do they obviously they have to bring together the yelena stuff and speaking of freaking amazing performances that scene between yelena and um and Kate. Kate was so good. Oh my god, that well, was so good. That's why I down here. I made some awesome mac and cheese. I mean, that's like you know, I love the I love the way that Natasha did the same thing. Where she, you know, she the very first time we see her, I think it was probably in Hulk or something like that, or maybe Iron Man. Where Iron Man, yeah, or Iron Man too. Yeah, where she's she's yeah. in the chair and she's she's getting beaten up and whatever. And then, oh no, and that's in that, yeah, that's in Avengers. That's the first Avengers movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and her cell phone rings. And she goes, "Hang on, I'm kind of busy right now." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then she just turns on the room and basically you know knocks everybody out right yeah but, yeah because it's colson right Coulson's same, calling saying we, we got to bring you in right yeah and then the same sort of thing with with uh with uh, the florence Pugh character today uh, yelena she very casually just sort of has a sit down and you know makes makes dinner for um kate you know with the mac and cheese yeah and and just you know has a conversation. Hey, tell me, I'm new in New York. You know what? What are the sites I want to go visit? Yeah. You know. Meanwhile, she's like the most dangerous person in the room. You know. Oh yeah, in the city, arguably. Yeah. 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 So yeah, exactly. And it's interesting so. too because I think they also I think we're supposed to think when she shows up that it is spinning right out of the end of the the teaser scene from Black Widow where mm-hmm. Valentina. Uh, 
the Allegra Fontaine de la Fontaine is uh, the Countess is basically given her this you know uh, scapegoat you know for her death trying to basically eliminate a threat but then we obviously we get that that twisted in this episode as we get the reveal that the person that hired her is not in fact uh, so the countess is that the the rich black widow uh no the countess is the uh the julie julia louis dreyfus character that oh, has popped oh, up her. she yeah, popped yeah. up in vulcan and the witch soldier she popped up at the end of uh of black widow we're supposed to figure out what it is she's got brewing there it seems an awful lot like she's building a series of oh let's call them the dark avengers yeah because she's got uh john walker's ts agents uh not, 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 like not ts them. agent not ts agent that's a different <laughs> thing TS agent. or us agent, US agent. but i do like ts agents so much more <laughs> man sometimes i'd rather fight john walker than the go through the tsa anyways yeah for sure. um, i also i love the i love the way they portrayed the blip for for um, that was fantastic what a great effect cool. that was that was yeah, so good yeah. Like, as soon as I saw her disintegrate, it's spoilers for people. Well, we were already in spoiler. Yeah, we were in spoiler, Bill. As soon as she started disintegrating, and then, and then like, a second later, she's back, you know? Yeah, and it's five years and later. For that was her, it was instantaneous. For her, yeah. for her, it was five seconds. And for, for the, the woman she was visiting, she was in the bathroom at this woman's house, yeah. and she comes out five years later, you know? Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was the effect that they did, where she's, like, looking into the mirror, and she's, like, washing yeah. her hands, and then her hands, the water starts going through her hands. She turns to dust and then re-grows re into a person again that was so excellently mm-hmm. done because uh, we really mm-hmm. haven't seen the blip back right we haven't really seen people we got a little bit of it in spider-man they showed a few people just like showing up and stuff like that but yeah. the effect in this the way they did that was fantastic we, mm-hmm. we saw in um wandavision we saw um oh monica yeah we saw monica come back but we saw it kind of more of like uh almost like an outsider right yeah. like, like an outsider's perspective of like this person uh, un dusting back into a person whereas here in yelena's case it almost because of the way the background kind of undusts itself back in at mm-hmm. the same time she does it made it feel like that was her perspective it was like you know it, for, again like you said instantaneous like like what the hell what just happened here why well, is the bathroom this... wall color changed right? yeah it's like, like why is this yeah. different like i was just washing my face right yeah. um that, that was kind of an interesting uh cgi trick that uh, i think was well worth it because it, it is so freaking cool well so for monica too when she came back she was disoriented like she was like what like you know like as somebody who's had you know head injuries for various reasons i know that when you when you come back to consciousness you're not always you know really sure where you are right whereas yelena you know other than the wall color changes for her it seemed like no time and no thought you know other than the the split second where she was dusting that nothing really sort of changed for her and then the only thing that changed came changed for her was when she came back out the room was changed and and the lady was had a kid and a husband and you know that kind of stuff right so yeah so it's interesting how they're gonna how they're gonna play that out you know but i guess I, hopefully feige's got some sort of continuity going there with, with all these various threads right so mm-hmm. i hope so like 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 i said asimov and and those kind of guys who used to write these big giant you know universes of worth of stories would have like the bible everything sort of yeah they'd have like you know like like the the serial killer hunter wall with all of the you know eight by tens and the lines and the, you know maps and oh the, i bet yeah, you there so, are a team of people who work for for feige who essentially mm-hmm. their job is continuity continuity yeah, yeah. that's that's yeah. what they do is to say no you can't do that or if you want to do that we have to write this out or you know you have to yeah. figure out all these different angles because it must be 
so especially as you're going through you know not just the movies now but tv shows and everything else it must get incredibly challenging so speaking of continuity just uh, just an aside here sidebar so i was watching one of the episodes of Graham norton and some actor i forget who it was it was like somebody like um um chris pratt or whatever a fly ended up in his beer <laughs> right and uh and so like you know they they pick up the, the some another actor on the couch picks it up and and fishes the the fly out of the beer right and puts it like throws it on the carpet and and it survived right it's like they they hammer zooms <laughs> on it and it's still lying on the floor twitching its legs right and they're joking about you know how like you know he's you know like he's got to continue with the story and one of the comedians on the bench puts the cup back in front of him and says she says for continuity we have to have this here right <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they didn't cut the the fly scene out of the whole show, but it was kind of funny that you know that they implied that they would, and then of course he'd have to drink out of the beer that had the fly in it a minute ago, and it wasn't so much the fly that bothered him, but the other actor's finger was in his beer, right? <laughs> I'm I'm gonna put this one into the show notes. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but the uh, have you seen the Tom Hiddleston dancing uh, clip from the UK? No. Oh, okay. Maybe I don't know. When, Maybe I when have, you guys get a chance, and you audience mm-hmm. at home get a chance, uh, mm-hmm. we'll put it into the show notes it's uh it is tom hiddleston dancing from a couple years back on something called the chatty show in in the uk and they're like oh we hear you're a good dancer can you show us and he gets up and he is phenomenal he's such a good dancer i was like okay i already thought he was like super cool this dude is just like he honestly uh, i was thinking about this and uh, my son and i were talking about like who do you think would be a good next james bond i'm like god it's got to be tom hiddleston doesn't it he's just the coolest guy on the planet right and he's got that swagger right he he Mm -hmm. does and he's got that sort of roguish charm that you kind of like he's Mm. nailed it with loki he certainly would he would have to do a little bit of uh of of weight training because he's a little more slight than you i think imagine bond being but i don't think that that should take him off the table and maybe he's just too too known now as loki but damn he would be a great james bond well i mean like uh who's before daniel um craig pierce brosnan's name yeah mm-hmm. he was too well known i mean like he was what, remington was steel the, yeah, yeah remington remington steel. Steel. like he exactly. was very well known as as somebody as another character yeah yeah you know but it, you well, know, i mean look three, at tom holland movies, right tom became... holland is spider-man and he's gonna be he's gonna be nathan yeah. drake right well that remains to be seen well but we know he's gonna be that whether or not he's good at being that that's a different well, thing. the question is the question about the question about uncharted is like i wonder how how the world would accept that character right yeah you know yeah, yeah. like i mean they 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 really haven't warmed up to to laura croft very much right so yeah fair fair anyway all right should we move on to the watch list yeah, let's do the watch list thing. Oh, look, it's me again. So we last week we talked about uh, um, the Matrix uh, being in IMAX, and I, I did a bit of I've been following the story as, as after I saw it. Um, it has been resed up to 4K, which is why it is freaking amazing on IMAX. Now I gotta say I don't remember when we saw Dune if we saw a IMAX cut of um, is it No Way Home? What's the the new Spider Man? Oh, the trailer. Yeah. Um... Far for, for no far from yeah no way home is the new one no way home and and so um but did was it like in the full aspect ratio of, of IMAX I cannot recall I want to say yes so so before this this one because I went to see it at the at the uh, Scotiabank Theater which is a proper IMAX like you know yeah, ratio square huge, yeah. blah 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 yeah. 
Um, you know, I saw Gravity there. So I saw I saw Alien. The original Alien movie was cut for IMAX on that one. I've seen I've seen a number of movies there. So it's probably my favorite IMAX theater. And um, so this was so I, I you know I basically tried to ping a few people. Nobody wanted to go, so I just screw it. Went and saw it by myself. And I have seen this movie a number of times, right? And um, you know had the DVD and and it's when it's on, I sit and watch it for a few minutes and flip away and stuff like that. So I hadn't really sort of sat down and watched it from end to end in a long time but i've seen all the bits thousand times Mm. right um so i you know i bought the ticket and i thought "Mm, do i really want to see this can i live without it and i thought you know what the hell i'll just go right so i bought a ticket went and saw it and and was able to select a seat so i was like you know not near people sat in the middle of the theater you know good seat i was in the top row of 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 the theater and you know there was enough distance between me and other people which so was great like from that point of view Mm -hmm. but this cut is so crystal clear clear that it is like amazing Mm. to watch like you know um, Lawrence Fishburne has a really pockmarked face and, and the Oracle has, you know, um, you know, all kinds of interesting things happening on her face. And even Neo and, and Trinity at their, at their, you know, they were sort of at their prime in terms of their looks. Right. And plus all the, you know, the leather and the black and the latex and mm. the guns and everything like that. And, and, the the effects of the, you know, the CRT tubes kind of thing as you, as you move, as the camera moves in and out of the matrix, as it were, um, it's just an amazing movie to watch. And of course, you know, I've seen all the sort of making ofs and theories ofs and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, the, the fact that, you know, the green tint means you're in the matrix and the blue tint means you're in the real world in the overall thing, overall artist. And I was amazed. I was amazed that this movie actually stood up. What was funny for me, though, was that and, and uh, I kind of wonder how other people feel about this. I mean, I grew up with rotary phones and phones where you, you know, and phones where you had to, you know, stand there and take, you know, phone booths. You wanted to call somebody, you had to go to a phone booth and call somebody. And, you know, and the early, early uh, cell phones and stuff like that. And, you know, with the, clearly saying Nokia right on it, you know, or even the, the I don't know if you remember the four color big pen with the four colors oh, yeah, like yeah. when they had when they had neo the, the 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 thing to sign for the phone he's got the hand he's got one of those pens in his hand mm-hmm. and he actually pushes down on the blue ink to to sign as and he could have chosen the red but he chose the blue mm. you know kind of thing right and and all that sort of the, the special effects it, it actually held up really really well and but it's funny because it's got a sort of steampunk feel to it now because you know when the computer when the the rigs and whatever that they've made that these people have made to run, work to to manipulate the the um the the matrix when they're in the matrix manipulating it they're they've got all these sort of contrived devices that they've made like they have a dialer that dials a an old you know 50s style rotary phone right um and you you may not have noticed that kind of stuff in in so much in the 90s cuz we still had you know those kind of phones but um but now it's kind of funny because it it's kind of like putting a record on a you know a vinyl record on a phonograph it's it's something so retro that you know um the movie the movie actually held up pretty well and i all the way through i mean even right to the very last you know rage against the machine singing wake up you know uh it was really worthwhile seeing and and so we talked about it last week that it was only supposed to be in the theater for two days right mm-hmm. and it wasn't it wasn't the days that we looked at i went on like i went on it was on saturday and sunday i could have seen it a couple of times if i wanted and i was so dumb i should have gone to see the james bond movie while i was there but 
uh, wasn't that smart. And but I've noticed that uh, if you look on the schedules for a few theaters around Toronto today, you can go see The Matrix. You can see the 1999 cut of The Matrix. Mm. You know this, this resed up 4K version, right? So it's not like it's unobtainium, and it, and it makes sense, you know, because people are going to want to if people are going to go to the theater to see Resurrections, they may want to see the original movie, you know, before or after, just for for the sake of of uh, that connection. I wonder, you know, I wonder in the Resurrections if they all go back to that trough with, you know, and and try to emulate the old tech that was in there, right? Because, mm. you know, I talked earlier about the bullet time thing. I don't know if you guys know, you know, like when the very first scene where Trinity jumps into the air and the camera pans around her as she's frozen in space, right? Yep. How I don't know if you guys know how they did that, but they had a ring of cameras all the way around her. And as she leapt up, they were doing wire work, but as she leapt up, they snap, all the cameras take a picture. And then when they, they take each one of those individual pictures and put it into the film so you watch it as if it's as if it's a film loop mm-hmm. right and that's how they achieve that effect and and all the it was early cgi stuff that they did with with neo with the dodging the bullets and stuff like that on with, with the helicopter scene and all that kind of stuff it, it surprisingly really held up really well so cool and and people laughed when Neil said, "Whoa, <laughs> yeah, well, movie, yeah. right?" <laughs> it's become such an iconic, weird thing well, that he so, does. So the story the story behind it is that for me, anyway, was was I, you know I used to go see movies every Friday night with my friend, and uh, we came, we went to a movie, and and we were walking out of the movie, and somebody handed us a card saying, "What is the Matrix?" I wish I kept the card, <laughs> but you know, so and we kind of looked at this, and it was like a preview of you know next Thursday come you know to the special screening of this movie anyway so we went and saw the, the the friday of that week the next week and the scene where you know and it was very it was actually it was before columbine now i think about it but the um the scene where neo and trinity go into the into the matrix spoilers for you if you haven't seen it but uh and they get all the guns he says we'll need guns lots of guns right mm-hmm. and and they go into the they walk through the metal detector and they, of course they trip it because he's like loaded with with metal right and they start shooting up the security guards on the first floor of the building where they go to rescue um, um, Morpheus, right? You know, as they're, they're this amazing, you know, track and the shooting and the wire work and all that kind of stuff and the, and the marble getting crumbled off the walls and stuff like that. And at the very end of it, all you hear is like like one of the pieces of marble fall off yeah, yeah. and like it's complete pitch quiet. And I remember the crowd in the in the theater just erupting in applause after seeing that for the very first time. I mean, admittedly, right? So, you know, if you've seen it a thousand times, you've seen it a thousand times. But but it was just sort of like, a it was the first time over the top sort of like gunfight, you know, in a movie well and it was just so the the way that they depicted the damage that was happening around Mm. them was so unconventional you know there was certainly you know there were explosions and squibs and stuff like that long before this but the the level of detail that they put into that was i mean it there are very few moments when you're in a movie theater and i'm sure for you tim in in 77 star wars was like this there are certainly movie movie moments where you walk in you're like whoa i just saw something take a huge step forward that was one of them watching that movie the the bullet time the 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 effects that they were using i remember thinking like oh movies just took a huge step forward yeah yeah it's like a moon landing exactly yeah yeah it is it's it's genuinely revolutionary in that it was so imitated from there on out right speaking of moon landings my second pick is Capricorn One. I watched it a couple of nights ago, and I've been avoiding. I've seen. I saw this movie back in in like probably the the late seventies. Yeah, seventies sometime. I remember. And I, I, I remember the general bits about the story, but I hadn't really watched it. And um, again, it's from nineteen seventy eight. It's Peter Hymas, who's pretty pretty well known um, 
did some pretty seminal movies as well. Um, but the, the, the gist behind this one, and the reason why I have been avoiding it in general, is that it's about a faked landing on Mars, right? Um, but, you know, what? and without giving too much away, because you can see this in, in the trailer, which I've got a link here, um, you know, the astronauts are on the ship, on the ro- rocket, it's about to take off, it just looks just like an Apollo mission, they're they're all ready to go. Uh, their astronaut outfits are a little hokey, but we'll let that slide, because it was 78. And um, they're in the ship, and with five minutes left on the countdown, somebody comes and, open, you know, everybody's left, you know, like they, they, they lock them in, they strap them all in and they all run away while the, the rocket, you know, gets fired off. And, but five minutes to go on the countdown, somebody comes and opens the door and says, gentlemen, come with me now. And they kind of like, what the hell are you doing? And, you know, they get off, they get off the ship, they get put in a, a bus, you know, they get taken over to a small uh, Learjet and they get flown away to a, a abandoned warehouse somewhere. And then they're told by Hal Holbrook. It's interesting. It's, it's um, James Brolin. Um, O.J. Simpson, who actually does not do a very bad job of acting. He's pretty good in it. Yeah. And Sam, Sam Walston, Walston are the, are oh, the Watterson, yeah, from, uh, yeah. Watterson. And he's hilarious in this movie, right? Yeah. So Hal Holbrook walks in the room and, and Watterson looks and says, funny thing happened on the way to Mars. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so they find out, or he, Holbrook tells them at the beginning uh, that, you know, they they kind of cut the budget on, they, they go, in, you know, of course, government funding, they went to the, the cheapest people. Uh, the people that made the life support system screwed the pooch. They would have been dead in three days if they let them go to Mars, right? Mm-hmm. So they, the rocket blasts off, and then it's, it's meant to... It's it's a, it's a, like an eight-month mission, and it comes back, and they're supposed to splash down and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so they get, they, they're get they stuck, in, and they're, they're basically told that they have to go and pretend that they're on on Mars, and they use, you know, video effects and stuff like that to make them look, to, to fake the actual, the, the walking on Mars and all that kind of stuff, but um, in general, the reason why I'm encouraging people to watch this movie is not so much uh, about the whole, because it, it actually does have an interesting story, um, but it's it's sort of a very 70s, 80s kind of movie in, in that, you know, there's a lot of flaws in the story, but it's compelling enough that you should watch it, because it, it turns into an investigative reportive story, right, with because Elliot Gould, who plays the 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 cub reporter who uncovers this thing you know a friend of his he's playing is, is one of the techs at, at nasa who disappears in the middle of the movie for you know unknown reasons and that kind of stuff so he's sort of given the task of of going and finding out what's going on and of course nobody believes him right yep. and even his editor doesn't believe him and and the editor and him they, they have this banter back and forth about you know tropes from you know reporters in movies and stuff like that and and you know at one point the editor says i saw that movie too and it's it wasn't four regard four things it was three things and whatever but it's it's it holds up well it's 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 in the same sort of style as um planet of the apes like in that sort of you know 70s 80s kind of sci-fi um thing it's it, the acting is really good in it and um a bit you know 70s in terms of plausibility but uh, plot points and stuff like that but i and it and it, it's on amazon prime and it's it's um high quality I mean, like they must have done a really good restoration of it or something but uh i was actually surprised how, how good the um the movie was cool so recommend if you get a minute watch it it's only like uh, 90 minutes long or something like that right I'm going to put that one on my Christmas break watch along with uh, the rest of the uh, Marvel Netflix stuff I never finished. Yeah, and I'm not going to give away. I haven't 
given away much of the story. I've only given away a couple of points. So yeah, but anyway, you have to you have to watch it to figure out what what uh, the resolution is. Um, and the last one is this. I posted this yesterday because yesterday was the release of the new brand new made for whatever for the 50th anniversary of uh, All Things Must Pass, which mm-hmm. is George Harrison's first solo album. Uh, this is the video for My Sweet Lord, and it it stars uh, Fred Armiston yeah. and Luke Scott and Luke Mark Scott Hamill. Mark yeah. Hamill. And a, and a cast of like you know well-known celebrities, uh, as w- including you know Olivia Harrison and Danny Harrison and a few other Jeff Lynne, you know, um, and Melissa Bayer and and uh, Fred Armiston do this. They they have this sort of investigative, you know, silent. It's a, almost like a silent movie. Like the the song "My Sweet Lord" is playing while these guys are running around California trying to solve some sort of something or other, right? Uh, interesting way to do a, a, a mu- music video, if you will, right? So, but uh, yeah, if you're if you're a George Harrison fan and or you and you're a fan of those kind of guys uh the Saturday Night Live crew uh check it out it's pretty funny cool. and it's funny because you know I don't know if you know Fred Armisen is a drummer yeah and a good one at one point Ringo is showing him how to play drums <laughs> that's mine my pick for the watch for the watch list nice yeah that's pretty neat over to you Jaime yeah mine is for the Star Trek Lower Decks fans so if you have around $80 US to spend on a, on a pretty nifty model the Eagle Moss has the USS Cerritos as a as a 3D um, actual thing you can have in your desk, on your desk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's yeah, they have a neat. bunch of um, Star Dark, Star Trek and Star Wars things. Yeah, they got a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, they've got all the hero ships, so this ends up um, adding onto there. And then variations, like you can get the, um, the what are they called, the Dreadnought galaxy class um enterprise d from the all good things timeline and a whole bunch of other stuff too so uh, yeah looking at this here they've got star trek battlestar galactica stargate space 1999 the expanse orville dorval marvel fallout you know a bunch of stuff beatles even doctor who uh i got a couple things so i i finished watching big mouth season five it was hilarious as as is to be expected uh i do give it a high recommendation if uh, if you haven't dived into Big Mouth, it is it consistently pushes the envelope to places that you just never expect it to, and it is consistently incredibly laugh out loud funny. But the reason I wanted to bring it up, particularly this week, is to say not only you should you enjoy the season, but the eighth episode of this ten episode season is the Big Mouth holiday special, Christmas special, and they do a ver- uh, a mix of both. Uh, puppetry as well as animation and sort of do the sort of sort of trope of christmas specials where they sort of do these little five minute you know mini stories and then the interludes are done by puppet versions of the main characters and the puppet versions are amazing they are so well done i want one of those and the the stuffed versions of those they are so so well done and the episode is gut-bustingly funny so if you're looking for a little extra holiday content this time of year it is uh, an excellent way to sort of dive in a little bit to the the world of big mouth to to jump in right at the the holiday special there because it is is pretty spectacular and it's in its vision of the holidays and uh, definitely pushes the envelope not for kids extremely not for kids yeah yeah do not show this to a child <laughs> Yeah, I watched I watched the first episode and and I was actually surprised by the uh, Oh no, it is it is monster. <laughs> very very much for uh at the very minimum I would say teenagers. 
and up. It is. It is. And maybe yeah, maybe a bit older than that too. I yeah, think. you know what though? I it's it's such a smartly written show. Like they they do certainly push boundaries. It is certainly absolutely you know done for humorous effect. But they will teach you a lot of stuff if you are somebody yeah. who does not know about you know sex. And there's stuff in there that like again you know I'm I'm a you know cis male you know middle aged man. You know there's stuff mm-hmm. that I don't know about, and it has taught me some stuff. So it's got to be the same yep. thing for a younger audience. So I don't think that's a bad thing at all. You know, I remember well considering I learned all this stuff in the in from walking home with kids in school and like yeah. Like, well, Jesus, I hope you didn't I learn all that stuff because they, they they go some places that I didn't know existed. So yeah. Um, so, yeah. But I remember we, I, when I was a little kid, I I remember watching an interview with Stan Lee when I couldn't have been like ten or twelve years old watching an interview on TV with Stan Lee, and they said you know they were talking about at that point it was when they were starting to develop the comics just aren't aren't just for kids sort of mentality of like you know there's lots of things in comics for everybody and he Mm -hmm. said you know yeah i've never shied away from using a big word i've never shied away from using uh you know complex situations because i want a kid to have to go to their parents and ask about something and learn something and i want them to go to the dictionary and look up a word that i used because i think that's how they're going to learn and Mm -hmm. that is kind of the same approach that i see in in the writing of uh, big mouth like yeah, sometimes they are going some places and you're like, whoa, I cannot believe they went to that place. But they are teaching you some stuff as you go. Cool. And the last thing I've got in here is, I guess, for our... It's 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 a recommendation slash a cautionary tale. So Spider-Man No Way Home and uh, is coming out uh, today as we're recording. So by the time you hear this, we'll have been out for uh, a little bit. And The Matrix Resurrections is scheduled to hit theaters next week. However, speaking of hitting, the Omicron variant of the coronavirus is hitting quite hard in a lot of places. Uh, here in Ontario, where Tim and I live, they have uh, announced a, a few clawbacks on uh, some of the, the freedoms that we've been able to re-enjoy, one of which is that they are reducing capacity inside of uh, events. You're not allowed to have, uh, you're only allowed to have 50% capacity at concert venues, sporting events, things like that. Uh, and I believe movie theaters are involved in that as well because they don't count it by theater they count it by occupancy of the whole place so it's anything over a thousand seats and movie theaters generally qualify as that so if you happen to have tickets to go see that uh for the for thursday and friday here you will be fine after that they're gonna have to figure out how they're gonna not let people go to the theater for some of these shows because they're gonna only allow 50 percent capacity i have a weekly weekly meeting so for those that uh, are, are not necessarily in the know i work for a major uh healthcare organization here in canada that is my day job and i'm lucky enough to spend uh an hour every week in conversation with uh an epidemiologist who works on our staff and she is brilliant and she uh shares her insights in a very unfiltered and somewhat terrifying way and i said to her before we get into like all of the numbers and everything else i just want to ask you one question are you going to go see spider-man no way from home no way home in the theater and she said no i am not and i thought well i think that pretty much seals it for me too and i'm heartbroken because i desperately want to see this movie it is the movie i've been looking forward to the most 
Hmm. And she said, no, it is this variant is spreading so quickly and we don't know enough about its long, like its, its uh, effects on everybody. We do know that it is definitely, uh, it is breaking through people's vaccinations. And yeah. she said she does not feel confident that she would spend time in a movie theater that was full to go see it. So... I will leave it again to everyone's discretion. We will note for the record that our good friend and co-host, Jaime Lopez Jr., has not seen a movie in... How long, Jaime? Uh, in theaters? Yeah. Um, I haven't gone to any since the pandemic started, so... Yeah. March? So yeah, almost two years. March. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know if I went to anything in like January or February, but yeah. uh, let's just pretend it was March of 2020 when it starts. Yeah. Just make it easy. So there's certainly people who have made the choice... Uh, uh, and given their their you know the level of of transmissibility in their community and everything else, made the decision that that's not for them, and that is to be fully respected. I am really curious, given the really really rapidly uh, increasing rates of transmission in a lot of major areas in the world. Uh, not the least of which are Canada and the United States, I wonder if we will see any movement on the decision to go with the 45-day waiting period. Theoretically, if it's 45 days from release, that means we will be seeing Spider-Man at the end of January, early February hmm. on Disney+. Plus. Uh, oh, it, it won't be like a, a, like a home premiere? They are. They have already said once they once they hit the fall. They basically said no. That is not their intention. They do not intend to do, uh, do not intend to do any same day and date releases on Disney Plus and in the theater. Mm -hmm. They are only doing in the theater. So I will just say, use your discretion. Decide whether or not this is for you. I yeah. have it on good authority by somebody who is a genuine medical expert and not a fluffy, uh, you know, podcast host. A podcast yeah. host, some jackass on the internet, some jackass on a podcast. <laughs> I this is genuinely from a medical expert. She has told me that she doesn't feel like this is a good idea, and I'm going to listen to her advice, even though it genuinely pains me to do so, and I really really hate the idea of not only having to wait this long to have seen this movie, but now to have to wait another, like, you know, two months at least. It sucks. But I think the attitude that all of us need to take over this next little stretch is better to be safe than sorry. And so that is how I am approaching those two things. Again, I, I consider it very lucky that we were able to get out and see Dune. We were able to get out and see uh, Eternals. We were able to get out and see... What else did we see? We saw... Matrix. Ma hmm? Oh, you saw the matrix um yeah we've been able to get out and see a couple things this fall which is nice and uh, you know i think that that was nice to have that option on the table and i and i didn't feel unsafe in those moments but i think now is the moment where we have to you know listen to medical experts we have to take the best advice available to us all of the experts in our area are saying it is starting to get a little bit scary out there, that there's a lot of transmission, and that being vaccinated is not necessarily a guarantee against getting ill or carrying it or transmitting it onto people that you love. So bear that in mind. Um, and yeah, sometimes it's going to cost you. If the least, if if the, the, the only thing it costs you is the ability to see Spider-Man in the theater, then you are getting off extremely light. And... 
Same thing with The Matrix. And yeah, it's going to suck. And I hope that at some point in down the road, I'll be able to see those in the theater because I'm sure they're big theater movies. But I just don't see December 2021 being the time to do that. So that is my decision. You can make your own decision. Everybody's entitled to their own decisions. But it is uh, it's definitely something to think hard about. Yeah, I mean, and as you know, as much as I can say, like, it was really cool to see The Matrix in the theater. Um, when I did the math on what it cost me, it was not a cheap, you know, cheap event, right? You know, 20 bucks for the ticket, and I had to pay 16 bucks for parking, mm-hmm. and then, because I'm not taking transit, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you grab a snack, and, you know, you're you're into it, like, you know, 40, 50 bucks, you know? So it's not, not a cheap thing to do. So sitting at home and watching a movie for 30 bucks all of a sudden makes a lot of sense, right? Well, and particularly in my circumstance, because generally, uh, you know, uh, you know, my, yeah, you my son comes along, and so that's a double, yeah. you know, right off the hop. Usually, you know, you, you and I are pretty good at exchanging, although I did say my son uh, started working full time. Uh, this this last little stretch, uh, he's he's taking a gap year uh, after finishing high school and and pocketing some money. And I was like, yeah, guess who's getting in on the paying for the movies turn along with uh, <laughs> along with Tim and I? <laughs> I think maybe yeah. you should be throwing in for some of these things because so far it's been a, a two 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 man show as opposed to a three man show. So I said, you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for you to pony up for one of these movies one of these days. He's like, but that's my money. I like spending your money. I'm like, yeah, I know you do. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get to spend my parents' money. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, it's good for kids to learn these things over time, right? Yeah. Self-sufficiency, uh, charity, kindness to others, paying your share, equality. Those are all good things you're supposed to teach kids, right? Buying around, basically. If That's you're buying around. Buy you got around. it. You got it. So, yeah. Jaime, did you, just out of curiosity, I, I mean, obviously, you've you've definitely taken a stance against going to the movie theater. Did you have any intention of seeing these, or were you always writing this out? I was thinking I would probably not see these unless I could look into that Shang-Chi situation you all had, where you were, like, the only two people in the, the private movie theater that wasn't actually technically rented privately, so it was a lot cheaper. Yeah, and I guess that's the other thing that has sort of been on my mind. Like, you know, we, we deliberately didn't buy tickets for sort of opening stretch because it was going to be packed, and it was going to be busy, and, you know, I think we were always sort of going to take a more cautious approach. If for some reason this is still, you know, playing in theaters in January or, or later and circumstances of the, the pandemic change. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I don't know about you, Tim, but I'm down for a, a 1030 show where there's three of us in the theater again. That was, yeah, that was yeah, sure. an amazing experience, but uh, you know, yeah, I, I just, I can't say that, um, you know, and, and to be fair, I want to I want to point out here in Ontario, you know, Cineplex has done a good job. They are following all the parameters. They do require you to show proof of vaccination on your way in. But as we've said, the the current strains that are going around do not care whether you've been vaccinated or not. Um, you know, to an extent, I think the number right now is about seventy percent protection. Uh, if you're double vaccinated, that's certainly a huge step forward, and hopefully, it will reduce your illness if you do happen to contract COVID. But the chances of you contracting it and being able to transmit it to others and potentially get ill, it still remains high. 30% is it's a lot, epidemiologically speaking. So, um, 
yeah, you, you have to you have to factor all those things in together. And to, for me, it's just well, I don't we have like some pretty numbers. fragile fa family members too. So that's another. Well, reason that's to be it, right? Like, it. do you really want to put people at risk? You know, because because you want to see Spidey. Like, again, do not get me wrong. I am heartbroken over this. I love Spider Man. He's one of my all time favorite characters. I love these movies. I love this this, this portrayal. I want to know what happens. I am envious. I saw a few of my friends who did wait in and go today, and I hope that uh, everything is good with them. But yeah, it's it's a scary world we're living in right now, and you gotta you gotta do you, and you know, and yeah, it's 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 a scary thing, it's a scary thing. So, um, like just for the sake of science, the um, Canadian premiere of Matrix Revolutions is tonight, actually. Yeah, well, yeah it was. I had a friend who went. Yeah, yeah, Keanu Reeves is in town yep. for that, and um, walking the black carpet. Yeah, but but I but they announced that it's going to be on. Um, it's going to be in theaters on the 29th, but it's also going to be on HBO Max or Plus, whatever it's called. I mean, does that HBO mean you'd, Max. Be, you'd be able to, you'd be able to watch it like at home? Like, yep. is it like a home premiere deal? Or? Yeah, because it was a Warner Brothers yep. films. So all of 2021's slate for Warner Brothers has been at least on HBO Max. Uh, sometimes I think day of. So that mean you pay like 30 bucks to see it or no. something? Or no, it's uh, the Free? the tier you need is the Max, which is uh, I can look it up. It's like 14.99 or 19.99 oh, a month. I'm gonna look okay. it up. Okay, so it's not, yeah, it's like a movie ticket or whatever. No, know. but it's it's factored into the cost. Yeah, so no, like, I know I get to what I'm saying, but you know, like you're you're not you're not paying specifically like 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 Disney does the premieres too. But you you know if you want to watch like Jungle whatever Jungle, Jungle Cruise, yeah, no, but they're not even out. doing that model with HBO Max. It's just included in the cost, so you there's no extra cost on top. Like for the Black Widow and that, you had to pay an extra what, thirty five bucks here in Canada. For for HBO, you just get it as part of your subscription, which is as I said in a previous episode, what a steal that's but worked out to be this year. Uh, so yeah, yeah I may be able to, to watch it long before we will if if we're not going to. You do have theater. to watch like uh, I can't remember if it's like a three week or four week time period. So they do something weird where like the first one I think that came up on this was Wonder Woman 1984. Yep, if not mistaken. And so you had I don't know it, it came out like second week of January I think, and you had until like middle of February to see it, and then it went away for some undetermined or <laughs> I should say I do not recall the number of months it went away. So you literally couldn't watch it anymore if you didn't. See in that time period until i want to say like three months later it's like okay now it's just part of the lineup for hbo yep hmm. so you can watch it you know indefinitely now so i i assume they'll do the same thing for this where it'll be in their uh, catalog for about a month and then oh you missed out it sucks to be you you're gonna have to wait a few months until it comes back as like a regular movie as part of their lineup yeah and in spite of uh Jaime is, uh teasing us for our our uh subsidized uh sci-fi here in canada there won't be that option the the last few times this has happened uh it was it was theater or nothing that's that's those are your choices here in canada which is unfortunate again if they put it on the table tomorrow if they said 35 bucks you can watch spider-man they would have my 35 bucks but mm -hmm. that's not on the table and you know it's unfortunate that you know that that you know, and we talked about this, you know, I think the the real challenge is obviously the spoilers and it just seems unfathomable that you'll be able to make it until January, February, whenever it appears on, on Disney plus or whenever it's available to a Canadian audience without being spoiled. I just cannot imagine a world where that happens. And that's disappointing because, uh, you know, again, take my money. I will pay. But no, it's not on the table. Yeah. Well, I guess that's it for another week. Uh, so, hey, hi, many people in touch with you. Where would they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. All right. And Jonathan, people in touch with you. Coincidentally, I'm also on uh, Twitter as Dev with the Hair. So I don't know how that worked out. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, you're dead without. Oh, dead the without hair. the hair. That's me. Actually, oh god, that would be funny. Uh, no, I'm I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram. It's at JPK News. All right, and uh, my name is Timitra. I'm T I M M I T R A on the Twitter machines, where you'll find me. And so, until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Mentioning, um, on, I think it was on last week's episode, Jonathan, that you know there was a time when, you, like, would you watch, would you subscribe to a channel? I think we were talking about Paramount Plus. Mm-hmm. Would you subscribe to a channel if it had a particular show that you wanted to watch or whatever? Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, you know, for the longest time, we we still can't get Hulu in Canada, right? Well, we get and, Star, which is kind of Hulu. Well, yeah, but we didn't for the longest time. Oh, yeah. and, and I remember there used to be shows on Hulu that I just kind of went, oh, it's on Hulu, too bad, you know, yep. and just like for years not being able to i remember alec alec um baldwin for some reason promoting hulu when it first came out but um yeah i just remember like for 10 years or whatever it's been out that there were just shows on hulu that like okay i guess they're on hulu yeah and you had to wait for them to come out on dvd or blu-ray or rental or something you know yeah to be able to see them but and those days are coming back mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. big sale this week i sent you a link to a couple things um big sale on, on apple on the itunes store this yeah. week here in canada they're starting to do mm-hmm. the sort of pre-christmas Boxing Day kind of sales, uh, yeah. Deep Space Nine, the entire series on uh, on iTunes for thirty bucks Canadian as a pretty mm-hmm. pretty good deal. It's like a hundred and so it works out to like pennies on the episode. It's pretty good. Um, but they also put out like you can get the complete series. But they're still they're still are they still in the low resi sort of format? There's they haven't been like resed up or whatever. No, they well they didn't do a full like I haven't done a full turnaround on that one. I think they did do one for TNG and the original series, but I don't think they've done it for, mm-hmm. for Deep Space Nine. Um but yeah, like there's some really good deals like Mad Men, the entire series of Mad Men on on um on iTunes store, which is HD for twenty bucks. Like it's great. Mm-hmm. Weeds, oh. um yeah news radio i like there's one for you the the complete series charlie's angels bewitched oh real ghostbusters there you go um yeah they have a whole bunch of stuff on sale this week it's really good stuff on here sherlock i never never saw west wing oh my god watch west wing that's the like that is one of my all-time favorite shows so good so good complete voyager um yeah enterprise is 25 bucks for the entire series original series of of star trek is 25 bucks discovery seasons one two and three for for 10 bucks a season you want to have those in your pocket Mm mm-hmm
Yeah, this, again, there's lots of, lots of cool stuff out here this week. The Jetsons, the complete Jetsons, the complete uh, Flintstones. I, I, I'm not I'm not sure how how they worked out the pricing. There's the same number of episodes of Voyager as there are of DS9, but it's fifteen dollars more for Voyager. Can someone mm-hmm. can someone please let me know what the rationale there is, please, please, please? The Voyager actually goes places, whereas DS9 stays in the same place. They, they get a ship eventually. Yeah, because they can't stand being in the same place. Jaime, what's a better series, Voyager or DS9? I think DS9 has um, well, it's kind of weird because like the the, the winners the short of it is that winner is going to be DS9 in my opinion but i can see why people like voyager and as a comparison for people who grew up in that time and i'm going to talk about sort of the, the modern renaissance around voyager in particular so i think that deep space nine has like really high highs it also has some really weird lows yeah so it's kind of like streaky and uneven in 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 episodes whereas voyager is sort of vanilla it's sort of straight mm. right it doesn't get the highs that you're going to get out of ds9 but it doesn't get the lows for the most part you know mm-hmm. like when if you put it on a, a, a scatter plot and you, you know, you got to throw off the uh, like threshold episode, right? So yeah. you do the best fit line is like, okay, it's mostly in this range. And that's for people who, who saw both, you know, live when they came out. It feels like now that we've been, you know, a few decades away from Voyager being on the air, there's been a weird renaissance. And I don't know if it's, if it's the youngins, I don't know if it's a uh, nostalgia factor or something, but I think it's the same kind of thing where you see the prequels for Star Wars getting more love now than they did you know when they when they came out and i feel it's like a like a rose-colored glasses sort of thing mm. so um you know suddenly everybody is like oh my god egypt was like my favorite character in the what? show come <laughs> on Starship picard upcurred right i'm like but none of you all dressed as egypt <laughs> liars <laughs> There's been so many conventions, you know, billions of people have, have gone through, not a single one dressed as Icheb, but suddenly now, you know, all the Icheb, closeted Icheb fans have come out. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's there's something is something interesting there. I don't I don't fully understand the 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 cultural things that happen similar to like Friends or The Office or mm. being like weirdly popular. I'm like, but why? They're they're old shows. Yeah. Why why are you youngins watching these shows that like you were probably tiny kids when they came out yeah and maybe that's the the whole streaming universe thing right they just they were kids they had time they've watched all these things who knows but yeah i don't know it's uh it's it's when they do these kinds of things where you get the uneven pricing you're like what's the rationale what's the rationale Mm. in pricing one thing more than another when they all seem very similar maybe they're writing the uh the star trek prodigy hype they're like look you know who's not in in a kid's episodes of stuff ds9 characters but you know who is janeway (laughs) just just put it up there you know kind of like anytime you you know like i guarantee you um when the what do you say was secrets of dumbledore comes out yeah i guarantee you anybody who owns the license for the current Harry Potter films is going to be marathoning those the weekend going into it. Oh, yeah. Right? Of like catching on the hype when everybody's all in a in a Harry Potter mood. Well, we've got Harry Potter too. Yeah. Maybe it's the same thing of like, hey, you're like all hyped about Star Trek Prodigy and, and Kate Mulgrew. Great. Well, we've got all these episodes here and we're charging you a premium for them while the, you know, the attention's there. Yeah. Did, um... Did you, the Easter egg, we didn't mention the Easter egg at the beginning of this week's disco, right? The USS Janeway. Yes. Yes, that's true. And the USS T'Pau. 
Yeah, so I saw that one. Which, yeah, Tapao showed up as the, um, uh, what do you call it? The the trivia question in the ready room this week. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. From, like, they were referencing the, the original series episode character? Or... Correct. Well, I mean, I guess spoilers for the question there. But, like, yes, the uh, the question was, you know, <laughs> basically, who was Tapao? And then it's multiple choice. Oh, okay. And, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. The, and the correct answer is the, the TOS character. Yeah. And not the 1980s band that uh, took the name and became popular for a little while. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't you remember Tapao? Look, look up Heart and Soul by Tapao. That's a, I actually have it on vinyl. Wow. I remember uh, it was like me and five other people that were like, wait, you named your, your band, your like pop band after uh, an obscure Star, Star Trek character? Like, come on. But yes, they did. You'll find it on Spotify. Heart and Soul to Pow. Great song. Hmm. I, did, I didn't know about that uh, That band's name. Feels like, you know, if you want to throw some DS9 love, um, maybe you go with, uh, ooh, ooh, ooh. And then, you, and then you, you, you try to see if you can convince people who, like, typoed into Google search, who are, like, really politically motivated. And you call your band Feel the Kern. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering where you were going. I'm like, mourn? Nope. Quark? Nope. Feel, feel the Kern. Feel so the Kern. Worf's brother, Kern, who gets <laughs> uh, some interesting um, DS9 episode stuff and then is, is, a, is a nice typo squatting kind of thing in Google for <laughs> Feel the Burn. That's funny. Yep. Just looking through all the $4 movies on them. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff on sale this week. Movie side, too. Yeah. Well, gotta love it. Mm-hmm. HomeKit says it's time to go to bed. Yep. Oh, my, light, my light's just all turned off. It's time to go to bed. Yep. All right, folks. All right. Well, one more right. one more week till uh, the end of Hawkeye, and uh, yeah, something about yeah. It. We're almost we're almost at the end of uh, the longest shortest day of the year, and oh, back into the summer. Goodness, yeah. I guess it's Gord's birthday Ooh. next week, eh? Who? Gord. Gord. Yeah. All righty then. All right. Okay. All right. Take it easy, guys. Bye. See you. Yeah. Where's the off button? Make it stop. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.